Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoryamos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoryamos to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. I'm a musician and a woman. I don't know which one comes first. This is Bliss, a single off Tori Amos' new album to Venus and Back. Originally, the CD was supposed to have just a few new tracks and old B-sides, but it evolved into more. There was an essence, I can't explain it. It's the sweetest drug, music, when it comes and she visits you. Tori's inspiration turned the project into a double album featuring 11 new self-produced songs along with live renditions from tours. Finding out Tori's inspirations wasn't so easy. I would tell you who I've slept with before I tell you who my musical influences are because I find that very personal. And what about Tori's personal happiness? You know when people smile too much, it's painful. I find it really painful. Happy is not very reliable. I'm trying to live like I'm with a fierce calm. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on this episode, we're talking about Bliss, the first track from Tori's fifth album, To Venus and Back. Did you hear what happened to Professor John Davidson? Tell me. They crashed their spaceship. I didn't know that. I try not to read the news because it's too upsetting. And this is why. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. How are you on a scale of pissy to blissy? (laughs) I'm pretty blissy. Not so pissy. You are? I'm glad to hear that. I thought you were going to say, how are you on a scale from ocean to ocean? From ocean to ocean. I'm pretty ocean. Yeah. How are you on a scale of pissy to blissy? I don't know. I'm pissy too. I'm sorry to say. You're pissy? Yeah. I said I'm blissy, so don't say I'm pissy too. All right. Well, we're yin and yang as always. I love that. How are you on a scale from sissy to sissy? Definitely sissy. Tales of the queers. No, really. How have you been? We are back. This is Bliss, and we are back. (laughs) Tour is over, and 2022 is well underway. So much has happened. Name two things. You've traveled the world. 
Oh, I sure have. The McRib is back. No, I don't know. What <laughs> is the McRib back? I don't. I don't know. It's a seasonal thing, right? But I'm not sure which season it emerges during. How have you been though? I traveled the world. What'd you do? I sat here. I held down the fort. Thank you. The fort is still standing. Yeah, I just sat here with our shuttle engine idling, waiting for you to get back so we could do the damn show. I know, and I'm glad that we lost our original Bliss recording. No, you're not. (laughs) I'm not glad because it was pretty edited. It was almost done. And through no fault of my own slash my fault, we've lost the entire recording, so we had to do it again. But it's better to do this one again because we needed to touch base. After a long, long hiatus, Yatusi. Can I tell you a secret about this? Yes. You didn't lose the recording. I listened back to it in the booth and I was like, this just isn't right. So I took a sip of my margarita. I shrugged my shoulders and I hit delete. And I was like, we're going to do this shit again. (gasps) So you should get Phil Chanel to host with you? Yeah, this has got to be right. Get me Phil on the line. No, I can't hold. No, I can't hold. This has been a time though. 2022, we're halfway done. I mean, halfway full. And so much has happened, but we're here And we are going to release all of Venus this year, come hell or high water. You know what? People aren't going to believe us. We just have to do it. We have to stop saying it and just do it. The proof will be in the pudding. Ooh, pudding. That sounds good. We're going to do all of Venus and we're going to do all the strange little girls, right? Silence. I'm just considering, (laughs) wait, we have six months left and we're doing two whole albums. That seems reasonable. Plus the rest of the B-sides. Right. The little earthquakes B-sides, you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I want to start, I need, my body has needs. And one of those needs is to begin Scarlet's Walk and Under the Pink next year. Simultaneously. One of those needs is a little stronger for me. I would love to start Under the Pink. I know you would. Yeah, I just said it. I know how you feel about that record. <laughs> But I guess for now, we should talk about Bliss. Well, we should talk about Bliss. But first, let's wrap up the business of Ocean to Ocean. What'd you think of the tour? What'd you think of the album? We are post... Well, we're betwixt the Ocean to Ocean eras. Between two eras. Have we ever been between two eras like this? Yes. No, where we know like the second half of that same era is coming back. Only like between second leg of Scarlet's Walk and a lot of pianos. Oh. We're in this in-between zone. Yeah, we definitely have not occupied this kind of liminal space before. I know. It's like being in space. Liminal space. Liminal. Ooh. Oh, that does sound good. Perfect time to be in outer space. In liminal outer space. <laughs> to answer your question, I really like the album, but I'm not sure Tori does because she didn't play any of it live. That's absurd. And the people who say that to me can listen to my perspective. All right. She did about half of the album. She did more than half of the album. The album is 11 tracks. She did Addition of Light Divided, Ocean to Ocean, Spies, 29 Years, Devil's Bane, Flowers Burn to Gold. That's more than half the album. You're so right. You know what it is? What is it? She's holding back. She's like, I'm gonna do one ocean on the first leg of the tour and the other ocean on second leg of the tour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Metal Water Wood will come next leg. Oh my gosh, it's so well. Yeah. There is a theory out there and I don't don't mean to cause drama. I'm not a shit starter in any sense of the word. That's exactly what a shit starter would say, but okay. <laughs> I wish I were lying. Mm-hmm. I wish I were lying. But I heard a theory from a dear friend of ours, someone who managed to do the entire tour. And there's so few of them that actually got to do the whole tour because we all caught COVID. One person who managed to do the entire tour said to me, I don't think she was actually playing any requests. 
And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I think that she was playing what she wanted to play. And occasionally a request would come in. But I think maybe she was fibbing sometimes. Mm. I have two pieces of evidence. At one point she said, this was a request. And I'm not even lying. Implying that she had been lying. You gave yourself away, Amos. I know. And then another time she said, I'm not going to lie to you. These aren't requests. I just wanted to play these. Yeah. (laughs) Implying she had been lying again. Do you think she knows when she can get away with that, though? Yeah. Because she specifically said at my first show, she played Girl Disappearing. And she was like, this is not a request. And we were like, yeah, that makes sense. How dare you? I love that song. And had I been doing the iPad videos, I would have requested that song because Rue was coming. It was a really good performance, too. You know what doing Never Shut Up has taught me for four long years? (laughs) Is that every song has value. And I love everything in some way. Good thing. How was it the first time you heard Bliss? Tell me the surrounding circumstances. Everything. I want to know every little detail because I have a very clear story as well. You do? I do. I don't know that mine is clear. This is another song that I got an MP trace of ahead of time. And I don't remember if it was official or not. But I remember listening to it in my bedroom on my, I was going to say my laptop. But in all honesty, it was my dad's laptop because I didn't have my own in 1999. (laughs) And I remember before I heard it, someone said to me that it sounded like Upside Down. What? And I think they meant like the piano riff was somehow reminiscent of Upside Down, which I guess I could kind of hear. Yeah, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I liked it. It made sense. I don't think it was the same kind of shift that Spark was after Boys for Pele, of course, but I quite liked it and I still do. How about you? I love it. Bliss, I've never gotten tired of. It's a marker for me of when the show is going to be really amazing. If she play, if she starts with Bliss, I just feel like it's a really great opener. The first time I heard it was a great opening in my own life. Someone had, I guess, clipped it from the radio. Do you remember? Did you have the same leak? Someone clipped it from a radio, like the very first radio station that ever played it. Someone happened to be recording it to tape, to cassette tape. And then they digitized that and made that at the MP3 that was circulating on the dent. And it was circulating all over the internet. And And I downloaded it, not on a laptop in my own home, in my own bedroom, but in the computer lab at University of New Mexico. And I brought my headphones, my big headphones, and plugged in. And I didn't even go to that school. I stole access to the computer lab so I could hear this song. Yeah. You couldn't have planned it better. Thank you. For a first listen of Bliss or anything from Tavinus and Back to be in a computer lab, you're like, you know what? Lately, I'm like into circuitry. Right. Exactly. What it means to be. I don't know what it is. I just can't get enough of it. Supernova juice. Mm. Wiping it from the corner of your mouth. Gross. I was sitting next to this guy named Hans, who I had a huge crush on. I must have been, I was very young, you know. We don't need ages. But he had silver hair, and it was long. He was older. I love Hans. Was he a wizard? He looked like a wizard, but he was studying computer engineering or something engineering. Oh, he was a technological wizard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was bitching. I guess you could say computers are super cool. But I loved it from the beginning, and there was this sense back then in 1999. There was a sense, it wasn't just that she was evolving, like the sound was evolving, but like that she was on a forward trajectory. It was always adding something new. From diary entry to more complex lyrics and impressionistic painting to now we're adding musicians and we're adding other things and harpsichord and now we're adding a full band and now we're adding electronica. It just was a constant forward trajectory that I really was into. I was into the journey. 
And I knew then that we were on a journey. I was willing to say at that point, we were on a journey. Were you um, upset that we were getting further and further away from the piano? No, at that point, she had nothing left to prove with the piano. I was willing to go on that journey too and let her continue to show us what it could do. You're never going to beat Under the Pink and Boys for Pele. So I agree. Keep pushing the piano by giving her some friends, getting her out there. She's social. Yeah. Nobody likes to stay in isolation. I know. We all have to get outside of our comfort zones. I agree. Well, should we talk about this season of To Venus and Back? Sure. We have a very exciting season planned, and it's pretty much all recorded, except for the live sections. And thank God we didn't, because she played Juarez a thousand times this tour, 40 more times. Yeah. And we're going to play every single one of them. Yeah. We have a special lined up. It is a 16-hour episode I know. For You'd think Juarez. after a while she would know better and stop dropping off the edge, but she's like, nope, dropped off the edge again. Again. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, once you've dropped enough times, wouldn't you stay... Like, stand... Just back away from it. Stop doing that. Ma'am. 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 You're... Ma'am. Oh, we lost her. Oh, the guardrails for everyone but you, I guess. Save that joke for the next episode, David. Put that in your toop. Don't worry. I'll say it again. I expect you to tell it again. Oh, David, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be sitting at a desk and recording into the microphone that makes my voice sound like butter. Mm, Yeah, Mm. as opposed to lurking outside a venue. God, I can't. I mean, yes, A, lurking outside the venue, but B, I ended up using my phone as my microphone because it was just I know, but it it did a good job. That phone makes me sound like a screaming banshee. No, it doesn't. Hi, what'd you think of the show? (laughs) What was your favorite moment? That's a little Mickey Mousey. Terrible. Did you listen to every episode of Tour All Night? Every single one, twice. Well, we've made a lot of new friends this tour, and I'm excited to get started on this season. Shall we say hello to our Patreon supporters? Hello. Hello. In space, no one can hear you, Patreon. Except us. (laughs) Hello. This is hopefully an exhaustive list up until maybe a month or two ago. So if you're not on this list and you feel like you should be, please reach out to us at songsofterimus at gmail.com. You can also find us on all of our socials at songsofterimus, but here is the list. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Hello to Drew Culler, who upped his pledge. Key change. See the colors changing. Frederick Charland, new patron. We don't want to crucify Charland. Hello to Daniel Foree, new patron. For her, for you, for ye. Welcome back to Darwin Price. Even the sun's got a Darwin Price on it. It's expensive. Travis Kittle, hello, new patron. Oh, these Kittle earthquakes. Kevin Zayed, hello, new patron who came in and upped his pledge immediately. Hi, Kevin. Yes, Zayed, Zayed. Hello to Shane DeCristina, who upped his pledge. And we have a wonderful interview coming out this season with Shane DeCristina. I'm so happy to see your name on this list. Hi, Shane. Shane, Shane. DeCristina out of me. <laughs> Samantha Lang, hello. I can't Lang Strang Wang and watch her again because I've already done it. Oh, welcome back, Samantha. Mm-hmm. Anne Ferguson, who I love, I love. Hello, Annie Ferguson. She won our Boys for Pele pack years ago. Hope you're listening to it still. She's a bad Anne. Mrs. Bad Anne, except she's not bad she's good she's a badass and <laughs> andre aspire welcome back aspire aspire hello to phil hamzik new patron if you see hamzik say hi special shout out to jm solomon who came in at a high level to support us thank you so much song of solomon will be your song of solomon sing it it's long hello to new patron trish lauderhouse gilbraith had me a trish had me a trish and a knish 
Thank you to Israel Placencia for upping his pledge. Thank you so much. It's keeping it Israel. Spencer Keywood also for upping his pledge. Thank you so much. Where'd you put the Keywood, girl? Jen Teachworth, welcome back. Is your place in heaven Teachworth giving up these kisses? Yes, it is. <laughs> Hello to returning patron Joellen Urban. Good to see you. Break the terror of the Joellen Urban spell. Welcome back to Dave Thomas. I love seeing you here. Coming in the Dave yard. Hello to my friend from Las Cruces, New Mexico, my dear friend, Nikki Jones. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for the support. Gonna hang these Jones out to dry. Hello to new patron Jasper Miller Davis. Jasper Miller, you have come with your Davis from the shadow side. Hello to Reggie Doherty, talented artist. Go check him out on Instagram. He does these fashion sketches of Tori from different eras as costume designs, as costume sketches. He gave me a giant portfolio of them because I love them so much. He gave them to me on tour and I proudly have them displayed on a gallery wall in my home. Reggie. I don't mind a Doherty girl. <laughs> I don't mind a Doherty girl. <laughs> Hello to new patron Annika Kemper. She lit me up. Like Kemper Waves. In his movie show. Mm. Hello to new patron, Betty, who joined and upped her pledge. Hi, Betty. Oh my God, just Betty? Do you think it's Betty Louise? She's like, I don't want to attract too much <gasps> attention. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it probably is. Hello to new patron, just Matthew. Just Maddie. I also have to assume it's Matt Chamberlain. Yeah, well, yeah, it has to be. Mm -hmm. Leah Williams, welcome back. Ophelia. Williams, you must break the chain. Hello to new patron Jason Wallace. How can I when you build the Jason Wallace around you? I'm so sorry if I pronounced this incorrectly. Please email me and I'll do it again. Katie Quashen. She's the Katie in blue. Cigarettes. Cigarettes. Recommended. Not required. Hello to Sax Eno. Don't you want more than my sax? <laughs> Your sax is good enough for me, Eno. <laughs> Hello to Brittany Bush. Woman, you got too many brambles. Woman, you got too many brambles hiding under these Brittany bushes. Hello to new patron Stephanie Stork, who came in at a very high level. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for the support. I know the Robins bring, like, many things. Can't get too specific. But what did the Stork bring? Stephanie. Stephanie. Hello to returning patron Christopher Gray. Hello. Unless it's a different Christopher Gray. Hello and welcome. Welcome back and welcome. Christopher Gray. Christopher's are gray and the fires are burning. Hello to friend and patron supporter Heather Allen. Hand me my Heather. And hello to Joanna, who has a very difficult name that I don't want to butcher. So hello, Joanna. You say you Joanna. Say you again. Say you Joanna again and again. Hello to Amanda, who upped her pledge. Hi, Amanda. Thank you. She's the Amanda with the golden gun. She knows a lot, though. Hello to Liz Peck. Hello again. Maybe she's a Liz of another Peck. I said Peck. I said Peck. I said. Hello to Angela Christine. Hello. What a gorgeous name. She's got palm oil. Bye, Angela's. Hello to Angie Arend. This one writes itself. Where will it lead us from here? Hi, Angie. Rebecca Air, welcome back. Airplane. I didn't see her watching from the aeroplane. Welcome back to Otis Kyle Thunderberg, who I believe is the Thunderberg from Down Underberg. Yeah, Thunder wishes it could be the Berg. Hello to Sarah Struthers. Struthers, the car is here. Ooh, Struthers. Hello, Sean Delahanty. Welcome back. Good to see you. Ocean to ocean. Ocean to ocean. Delahanty. Oh my god, you're so good. Ocean to ocean. Jason Lagrain, good to see you again. Sifting through the Lagrain of gold. Trippin'. Chodawa. Hello to Julie Houlihan. Houlihan me my leather. Hi to new patron, Bill S. Mama, it wasn't my billet. <laughs> Mama. It was my billet. Hello to Ella A, new patron. Hi, Ella. I-I-M-I-M-A-L-A-F. 
It works for me. Don't you forget. How could you? I hope it works for Ella. <laughs> Hello, Jillian Rappel again. Nice to see you. Jillian wiped a tear and then she threw away our Rappel seed. Hello to our new friend, Crystal Slows, who we met on tour. Hi, Crystal. Mirror, mirror, where's the crystal? Pass los. Pass los the mission. Hello to the wonderful Belinda, who supported us at a very high level throughout the entire tour. Thank you so much, Belinda. We couldn't have done it without you. It was a joy, a pleasure, a privilege, and you, Belinda, to me. And I hope you got your luggage. And last, but certainly not least, thank you so much to Minnie, new patron supporter, Minnie. Keep the boys many in their own little world. Tie them up. Thank you to everybody who has supported us through this strange, unique leg between the Ocean Ocean Tour, prior to the Ocean Ocean Tour. Do you want to talk about our guests? I wish they would talk about me for once, but yeah, let's do it. We actually have no guests, so expect the unexpected. That's mm-hmm. what Julie Chen says on Big Brother, and that's what you should expect here on Bliss. Let's do it, David, shall we? Hi, Julie. Most people go right between the eyes. We go right between the legs. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie. I sadly vote to evict Bliss. <laughs> the iconic, the legendary house guest Bliss. Mm. We're going to start out this episode with a cover of Bliss from a group called Glampire, and this actually appeared on Songs of a Goddess, a tribute to Tori Amos, which is a tribute that came out back in the day. Roll it, Oliver. Yes, Oliver's still here. Welcome back, Ollie. So let's talk about Bliss and then let's play it uh, once again to Venus and back in stores uh, September 21st. So do you want to talk about the tune? Do you have anything to say about it? or? I think on this record we were really fascinated about sound effects and um, making sound effects another instrument. So the new album is really, um, I think there's a balance of keyboards and piano, but this is a new instrument. This is a third thing I've produced of my own work, and I'm working with Mark and Marcel again, engineering and 
the structure of the songs, it wasn't just about the songs themselves. It was about a sonic geometric shape for each one of them. Hmm. So we spent hours and hours and days and days in the mix room working with um, millions of little boxes with buttons. What shape is bliss? If you had to give it a shape, what shape is it? Is it round? Is it square? Is it up? You know, what it's, is it? it's very long. It's very long. Okay. Bliss appears as the first track on Tori's fifth album, To Venus and Back, written and produced by Tori Amos, with piano by Tori Amos, drums by Matt Chamberlain, guitar by Steve Caton, bass by John Evans, recorded and mixed by Mark Hawley and Marcel Van Limbeek, assisted by Rob Van Tuen. The dream team right there, huh? Mm-hmm. Our notes say piano T. Does she go by T in the actual liner notes? No, that's a Shea Stimac original. <laughs> okay. It says musicians, drums, percussion, Matt the Human Loop, Chamberlain, bass, John Evans, guitarist, Steve Caton, Busendorfer, synths, vocals, Tori Amos, mm. programming with additional drum programming on Suede, Riot, Poof, and Detura, Andy, Mental, Wicked, Gray. It just says Andy Gray, but we know him as Andy, Mental, Wicked, Gray. Yeah. Not to be confused with another Andy Gray, which is kind of a common name. The point is no, Shea's taking liberties. I need to ask you something up front before we really dive into this. Okay, I'm ready. Do you believe in extraterrestrials? I mean, I feel like that's a dated term, no? I feel bad for them calling them extraterrestrials. <laughs> Xenomorphs, aliens, otherly galaxied people? Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel very strange about that term. Extraterrestrials, yes, I do believe in them. Of course, how could I not believe in them? Yeah, I guess it's like sort of condescending and dismissive. Like, you're being really extra right now. You're being so extra, you terrestrial. <laughs> do you think Tori believes in them? I need to know because she's traveled to Venus and back and to the other side of the galaxy and shown no signs of intelligent life. There is so much in this world and just there's so much about the United States that I don't understand. Same. I can't imagine that there's not life. I just can't imagine it. I won't imagine it, David. I'm not going to. You can't make me. You're saying you cannot believe that there aren't other life forms? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We can't be it. We need help. Truly. Gotta be help something us. better. Even just in the journey of souls, we don't even understand human life or human soulism. And then don't get me started on is reality objective or subjective? Like we're all building our own reality. Don't so even get him started. Don't get me started. So therefore, in such a complex series of events had to occur for us to be here right now doing this, biological events, right? evolution and thousands of years had to happen for us to be recording this podcast right now that I can't believe that there wasn't another series of complex events that created some other form of life, mm. you know? So that's where I stand. I know. Keep saying words. Evolution. <laughs> Economics. Dialogue, dialogue. Originalism. Banter. Conversation. Mostly banter. Do you believe in extraterrestrials? Other life forms? You know what? It's funny. I don't care. <laughs> then why did you ask me? You set me up for failure. I want to know what you believe. No, and by that I mean, like, I got my own problems. I can't be worried about other alien species. You know I like genre, particularly the horror genre. I do not care for sci-fi, and like of all the mysteries in the universe, I guess I'm just very like Earth-centric, Earth-focused. Yeah. <laughs> we have enough going on, as you pointed out, really, that we don't understand, and I'm more interested in the realm of the supernatural, which for me doesn't necessarily include aliens. I'm not into like UFOs and stuff. I'm into ghosts and murder. Murder. Yeah. 
Bliss appears on To Venus and Back, Orbiting, Double CD, and Cassette, released in the UK on September 20th, 1999, and released in the US on September 21st, 1999. It also appears on the CD and Cassette single and 7-inch Jukebox vinyl, released in the US on September 24th, 1999, and don't get me started on what I was doing that day. It appears then on the Bliss Maxi single, released also on September 24th in the US. We then see Bliss next on Tales of a Librarian, reworked Greatest Hits version. Roll it, Oliver. That was released on November 18th, 2003. David, what were you doing when that was released? What were you doing? Wait, what was released on? Oh, Tales, Tales of the Librarian. Are you not paying attention to the podcast you're currently hosting? Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was in a reverie thinking about the reworked version, <laughs> not necessarily the collection that it was on. But yes, what I was doing, in fact, was selling it to people working at Tower Records oh. and slipping candid photographs of Tori into their bags that they were not expecting. Oh, yeah, the door photos. Yeah, <laughs> candid meet and greet photos from the Scarlet's Walk tour. Thank God for those photos. Those mm-hmm. photos, they were a moment. So Bliss was included on Tales of a Librarian. She got a bit of that makeover. Now, you might think a librarian makeover would include polka dot tights and a fascinator, but it's actually kind of the opposite. It was stripped down a little bit, as all of those songs were, and I'd be curious to know why you think they made those choices, maybe to sort of give that collection a sense of cohesion, since they're from radically different eras, to give them a more uniform sense sound but to my ear they almost sound more like they have a demo quality a lot of the atmosphere was kind of stripped out as well as the processing like the reverb on the instruments and the vocals it just all sounds kind of like buffed up to a shine what do you think I mean, that's a good point that you bring up about like wanting it to all sort of sound cohesive, like a part of one collection. Entries from this woman's catalog themselves taken out of the context of their original work. Like, let's just archive them in this fashion. But I think it has a lot to do with, I think her taste in production changed. I mean, it clearly changed over time. Her production is a lot more straightforward, a lot drier, like technically drier. There isn't as much reverb or wetness. But... I'm still angry about Tales of a Librarian. Tell me why. Caudalite Sneeze should be on there. You're right. It's a little baffling. She's like, Caudalite Sneeze, I don't think so. Way down, sure. I know, I know. A song that I've refused to play historically up until that point. I know. Well, that one that one doesn't bother me because we got a little extra. You know, she had that sitting in the vault and she needed to put it on something. Yeah, we've talked about this, I think. I really sure. <laughs> believe at that point in her career, she wanted to distance herself from Boys for Pele and she wasn't feeling it. So she was like, well, I got to give them something. So I'm going to give them the shortest song I possibly can. What an absolute crime, though. Almost unforgivable because Pele is such a masterpiece to not include any anything really on her collection of greatest hits it just is really it does a disservice to the record to any new fan who might take a collection of greatest hits as the greatest of the hits 
I feel like that's her MO though. She always distances herself from the previous album and this just took a little longer because maybe it was so raw, mm-hmm. you know, for her to get back to Pele. Yeah. Plus she got married. So many things changed. Anyhow, the next time we see Bliss is as a remixed version on a piano disc C released September 26, 2006. Now it's important to note that this alternate mix on a piano is not to my ear is not the same as the reworked greatest hits version from Tales of a Librarian. The wind is back. The vocals are the same, but it seems that the processing on the vocals in the alternate mix is different than the way they're processed in the reworked greatest hits version, which is also different than the way they're processed on the album version. And also a lot of the effects are kind of bumped down in the mix on this alternate mix. So roll that, Oliver. It appears on the Fade to Red DVD music video collection, also released in 2006. Bliss was filmed on the road at the very end of a very long tour. The video crew had been out with us for a few days. And I think um, this was a time of reflection for some and sadness for others. This was a time when the band and I were on the same bus together. We had all grown very close. I had chosen to be with musicians as far as playing together, working together, and living together on the same bus which is a choice you actually have to do consciously um, when you're very used to being out there on your own. Oh my God, I'm never going to be remastered in HD. I'm going to live in standard definition DVD forever. You're currently working on your remaster's degree. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be remastered in no time. Uh. Bliss last appears on Eight Legs and Boots, Boston, Toronto, Cleveland, Chicago, Dallas, Boise, Vancouver, and San Diego. What would you say is your favorite version of Bliss? Mm, the album version. Oh. Yeah. David, you're nothing if not predictable. I know. What about you? The album version. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love them all. I mean, I love all the live versions. Again, like I said, Bliss never gets old live. It's always good live. I've never heard a bad Bliss. No. Supernova Juice, baby. Did you have the Supernova Juice t-shirt? I sure did. I wore it quite a bit, actually. It looked like a Bjork shirt. It really did. Yeah. It was unlike any other shirt up to that time. It was so cool. A shirt unlike any other. A shirt unto itself. Supernova Juice. I need to hear what you think of the single cover art. I love it. Great. I love it. I love it. I think it tells a story. Tell me the story. Well, I don't know. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't write it. Oh, She's in a bathroom. She's broken a heel. Something's yeah. going on. It's like she's oh, about. Oh, she's broken a heel. Yeah, she's about How to. How do you g- know? Well, because she like has her foot up, and she's like a. She, she seems to be adjusting her shoe. Yeah, I thought she was putting it back on. Oh yeah. Well, so why was it off in the public restroom? That's disgusting. Well, it's just like a wash closet. It's not a restroom. There's no toilet. It's just like where you would go to like wash your paintbrushes in the theater. It's true. There's like a giant sink, mm-hmm. and like a mop bucket is in there. I think. I feel like she's playing in like a small club 
club and that's what serves as a green room and she's like all yeah. right yeah, i'm yeah. nothing if not professional and she looks so hot in these pictures i loved her look here and that hair blowing over her face i don't know mm-hmm. it was just very like an intimate moment exactly like you said like she's backstage at a club or something mm-hmm. yeah and like some seedy little bar like i don't know it was really cool with like the boa oh i love it the venue she plays in particularly now these older theaters i don't think the backstage areas are particularly glamorous so maybe that's just what it looks like you're right it could be backstage at one of any one of those venues because every theater and i'm telling you this from experience every theater well not every theater a lot of those big theaters that do have like those painter sinks where mm. you have to wash your paintbrushes you do have a lot of experience and thank you for sharing it with us you're 35 years a showgirl wow what do you think of the single artwork well, I, I kind of raised it because, like I said, I think it tells a story. She's caught in the middle of something, and we're right there with her. What is it? In general, I love the artwork. Shot by Lauren Haynes. What a professional. What a bench. Has this song ever been nominated for a Grammy? I was just about to say, did you know the song was nominated for a Grammy? Uh, we're synced up. We still got it. Mm-hmm. We still got it. We came back to it. Best female rock vocal performance, in fact. And the nominees are... Bliss, Tori Amos, Sweet Child of Mine, Cheryl Crow. Jukebox, Ani DeFranco. Angels Would Fall, Melissa Etheridge. Possession Live, Sarah McLaughlin. You know what, Sarah McLaughlin? And the Grammy goes to Sweet Child of Mine by Cheryl Crow. A song she didn't even write. Mm-hmm. Well, it's for vocal performance, not songwriting. From Big Daddy. Music from the motion picture mm. of Big Daddy. Let that live in time forever. There could be nothing more 90s than Sheryl Crow winning a Grammy for a cover of Sweet Child of Mine from the soundtrack <laughs> from the movie to Big, Big Daddy. Daddy. And I'm not throwing shade at Sheryl Crow. Let me be clear. I'm, I love Sheryl Crow. I'm throwing shade at the institution of the Grammys. Yeah. Stop pitting women against each other. Mm-hmm. And I love most of those songs. You know what I love about Sarah McLaughlin? Many things, but I'll tell you one. The way she manages to keep repackaging and re-releasing the same music <laughs> and getting acknowledged for it. Did you see her with Tori Amos on the Ocean to Ocean tour? I sure did. She looks amazing. Her hair looks amazing. She looks so happy. Yeah. I love all these female musicians that were going backstage to she hang out with She promised she would take my breath away and then she did. And she did. She promised that she'd bring me ice cream, and she did not. Mm-hmm. And she did, and she did, and she did. Yes, she did. <laughs> it was also nominated in Category 21 for Best Alternative Music Performance. Category 21? That's my favorite. It's the first category that can drink. Mm. And the nominees are Tori Amos to Venus and Back, Beck, Mutation, Fat Boy Slim, You've Come a Long Way, Baby, Moby, Play, and Nine Inch Nails, The Fragile. Mm. And the Grammy goes to... Deck. Mutations. Mm. I like that album, too. <laughs> you do? Yeah, this was a great year for music. I loved all of that. Even the fragile. Even the fragile. It was very difficult for me working at Tower at this point, too, because Davinas and Back and the Fragile came out on the same day. I remember, yes. And it was clear that The Fragile was outselling To Venus and Back, like three to one. And yeah. every time someone came up with The Fragile and not To Venus and Back, I was like, we don't, let's not rush this. You don't have to check <laughs> out now. Some of us bought both, me, for example. David. What? You have to let it go. Uh, and they were both double discs. You think that was planned? Yeah, I think they both planned to do double discs. Do you think that was really, it wasn't about getting out of her record contract faster. It was about one-upping Trent Reznor. I do think she planned to release a double CD, yes. Mm. I mean, it was planned. It wasn't an accident. <laughs> exactly. She didn't just accidentally put out two in one paper, cardboard paper yeah. trifold. She's like, it went long. What can I say? Two discs. Can we talk about this packaging since we're here? Yeah, you like it, huh? <sighs> 
Like is a strong word. Mm, it really isn't. So here I'm looking at my newest copy of To Venus and Back, Ooh. which I found used at a record store. And the reason I purchased it for $2.99 used on May 17th, 2019. The reason I purchased that is because my original copy was worse for wear and this one looked better than mine. It still is tattered at the edges because there's nothing to protect it. And it's still, like, weirdly flattened on the spine. They all were. Yeah, because, again, there's nothing to protect the spine. Mm -hmm. So it just ends up flattening. So then you go and open it. And then you open it again. Well, when you open it, you get the one Venus and then, like, the close-up of the nipple. You remember the nipple. Why is she? Why? There aren't aliens in space, but there are areolas. I, I know. Remember that the, t-shirt? Like, the Dewdrop Ben shirt with the Hey Jupiter artwork? There was like a boob on Jupiter. A boopiter? Yeah. I got in trouble for wearing that on a Catholic school retreat. And the priest took me no. aside to examine it. And they were like, we think there's a breast on your shirt. Oh my God, a breast? A woman's breast on your shirt. I mean, what was the alternative? Taking off the shirt to reveal your own breast? I, I, I know. I bet they would have liked that better. Yes. It was like a Russian nesting doll of breastum it's like a breast <laughs> inside a breast when will it end then you open the trifold again and you have the two venai and then her in the middle doing her first time power pose this is her toriamus power pose clearly head back eyes closed arms outstretched fingers outstretched look alive pulling in energy from the earth yeah jazz hands and one Venus on each hand, mm. which was perfect because it was a double disc. But then if you want to hear the disc, you have to slide it out of the cardboard knowing it's getting scratched the whole way up. So much work. And then it's hard to get to the booklet. You have to kind of like tap it so that the booklet slides out so you're not ruining the integrity of the middle center. Thing. When we say be a fan of music in the 90s was a lot of work, we weren't kidding. Like actual physical labor just to get the disc out of the packaging. And then heaven forbid the center picture, the way it was glued into the middle, heaven forbid that you're trying to slide your booklet in there and it gets caught between like the back flap and the little fold instead of sliding it. You know what I mean? Oh God. Forget there's it. so many problems. <laughs> so I also bought a rare to Venus and back that came in a double jeweled case. That's the one I would play. Yeah, where did that come from? Weren't they music club editions? Like, I never oh, saw a they? jewel... I don't know. I never saw a non-cardboard packaging version in a record store. I think you're right. I'm going to find mine. Mine's on my shelf, and I'm going to look at it. There it is. Yep, double jewel case. What I said was true. Shall we get into the quotes, David? We should. I feel like that was a thorough discussion of the packaging and how tired it made us. <laughs> I'm exhausted just <laughs> yeah. from discussing it. Let's start with the Atlantic press release, shall we? All right. You want to do this one or shall I? I want you to start. Ladies first. Ladies first. Thank mm -hmm. you, David, for seeing me. Age before beauty. Okay. Oh, burn. This is from the Atlantic press release, August 13th, 1999. In a groundbreaking online sales initiative, Atlantic Records has announced that Bleece, the first single from Tori Amos' forthcoming new album, To Venus and Back, will be offered as a secure downloadable track for purchase via multiple online retails beginning August 13th. This marks the first time that a major label has made a downloadable single commercially available across the board throughout the internet retail community. <laughs> and Shay notes, always the trailblazer, our gal. Mm -hmm. And she underlined it and put it in italics for emphasis. She did. In case we would accidentally not read that part, <laughs> she wanted to <laughs> highlight. 
In making the announcement, Atlantic Group's co-chairman, co-CEO Val Azoli commented, the time has clearly arrived for online downloads to become another readily available retail format, alongside the familiar CD, cassette, and vinyl. Tori Amos has long enjoyed a tremendous web following and has been a powerful advocate of new media, is the ideal artist to initiate the widespread commercial launch of the download format. While major labels have often been accused of not responding quickly enough to developments in new technology, Atlantic has long been at the forefront of utilizing online avenues to bring our artists and their music to the consumer. With the for-sale download release of Bliss, we are taking another major step in the rapid development of secure digital music distribution. It is exciting for us to take part in an event that marks a new era in digital music downloading and Atlantic's selection of Tori Amos, known for her pioneering efforts in digital downloading, is the perfect artist to start with. Well said, Val. I love that Tori always defies expectations, even in terms of music distribution and promotion. At a time when most artists weren't using technology, she was out there in front. And now that it's a thing, she's like, no, thank you. From Sound of Vision magazine, why don't you read this? That was published on January 21st, 2000. Okay. In August 1999, Atlantic was the first major affiliate to offer a download for sale, the Bliss single by Tori Amos. It was offered to internet shoppers through various e-merchants who charged 99 cents to $1.99. Some also gave it away free to shoppers who pre-ordered the album. The result? <laughs> Only 1,200 fans downloaded Bliss. Because that's how many people had computers. I know. Not everybody had a home computer at that time. Not everybody's rich, David. Given the paltry responses to Amos Bow and Dave Matthews downloads. She was in good company and that speedy broadband connections are still several years away for most people. The big labels don't see any need to rush to put their vast catalogs of albums up for sale on the internet. Whoops. Exactly. And that's where it all changed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because you know what would have... I have a whole... In an alternate timeline, I am a pioneer in the recording industry. And I've saved the recording industry. I've saved big music. Mm. Because you offer a free download with the record purchase. That's it. From the beginning. Now you can do that. But at the beginning, you couldn't. Record companies were so afraid of people stealing their music. And instead, they should have just given it away. Everybody wants it online, obviously. What they're doing now is what they should have done then. And I would have brought that to the people. Why weren't they afraid of it when you could copy a cassette like nobody's business? True. Or when you could record off the radio, huh? Yeah. Huh? Huh? I had so many mixtapes of songs that had the first five, ten seconds cut off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why? Because you were sitting by the radio and you wanted to hit record as soon as it started playing and you always missed the beginning? How did that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was never sitting by the radio. I was always, like, getting distracted. Oh, but you anyway, had to run into a different room. I see. Okay. But it doesn't bother me that only 1,200 fans downloaded Bliss because what you said, good company. Like, so Bowie and Dave Matthews also had paltry responses. Let's play this from Charlie Rose, October 19th, 1999. Bliss is about what? Uh, actually, it's about my relationship with a Christian God. Instead of Father who art in heaven, it's Father I killed my monkey. And because my father... Um, Methodist minister. Methodist minister, my grandparents, Church of God ministers, they're gone now. But it was very much about um, the Marys, the two Marys were divided, the Magdalene and the Mother Mary, um, divided in the psyche. So the Mother Mary, um, the way I see it and the way I think a lot of mythology people that I respect see it, 
is that she was severed from her sexuality, the Mother Mary, and the Mary Magdalene was severed from her spirituality and her wisdom. So there's a division here of almost this some um, circumcision that women, Christian women, have had to work through for the last 2,000 years. And I feel the control that's really gone on. You know, this whole thing of divide and conquer, it's a joke, really. Divide and conquer what, a village? No. Divide and conquer a person with themselves. That's control. Then you think you have to go through these people for some kind of um, uh, soul purification, some kind of um, acceptance and forgiveness. And I'm like, no, no. The Christian God can sit over there and we can have a chat. And he can do stuff I can't do. I'm only a woman. But no. There's got to be respect that I'm a woman. He's multidimensional. But I don't see the Christian God for me as the divine being. I think there are a lot of gods in a lot of cultures that have things to say. And some of them I disagree with and some of them I think have a lot of deep truth. But in bliss it was very much about I'm part of you, I'm made of you, and there's got to be a point where I don't have to keep having to be something in your eyes. Now this is the Christian teaching. We're not walking into, you know, Cherokee teaching. We're talking about the Christian teaching that I was brought up with. And this is my line in the sand really saying, wow, we've got this screwy relationship, don't we? Christian woman, Christian God. So I'm marrying the two Marys in my own being, in my psyche. You know what we didn't do? So many things. We didn't do our shapens. Our shapens? Shapens. <laughs> our shapens? Oh, you're so right. So many things have changed. I know. So many things have slipped right out of our heads. You say that things change. Say that things change. Change. <laughs> of course, this document, lovingly put together by Shay Steinmack, we couldn't do the show without it. Mm -mm. Shay. Is that what I shaced? My shaper nova shaste. Your shaper nova shaste. <laughs> This is from Alternative Press, October 1999. AP. Sometimes when you express thoughts to people, you leave it open for somebody to tromp in there and start tearing it down. That's why I don't do it. I sing, Father, I Killed My Monkey, to lead off the song, which explains that sometimes you even destroy your own so that they can't excavate it. When I was growing up, I started becoming very secretive about my thoughts and the sensory world that I would go to because there's a lot of mind control that goes on constantly, people wanting access. What are you thinking? So sometimes I'd have my own defense going, which would be to look them straight in the eye and make them think I've killed my imagination. But it's like... I'll take control. How defensive. No, I mean, that's really... Sometimes people are just, like, wanting to open up the conversation by asking you what you're thinking. The idea of what I'm thinking, the world that I'm going to, when I'm playing for her, you know, music, is very personal. Maybe she doesn't want to share it with people, even your closest people, but especially your non-closest people, right? That's for sure. Do you hold anything secret? Do you, no. Is there anything you won't share with people? You're only as sick as your secrets, and I am sick. No, I don't. <laughs> not really. You don't have any secrets, David? I don't think so. Not anymore. I don't believe that. I don't believe <laughs> You don't? I don't believe that. Everybody has secrets. What do you know? Who told you? <laughs> Everybody has a rich interior life. Mm. We're all complex. I mean, some of us are complex beings. Not me. I'm an empty vessel. I don't believe that. <laughs> 
Why don't you read this from Mojo Magazine, November 1999? I guess my parents are in there, the song. But to me, it's not just about the biological father, but also the authority figure, whoever it is that I put in that position. Bliss is really about control and about certain things in our DNA that you can't use a strainer to get rid of. You can't separate completely from whoever made you because they're part of you. It's interesting that Bliss is really about control, but it's called Bliss, which you would imagine is like the happiest state that can be. Maybe it's about trying to break out of control. To achieve bliss? To attain bliss? Maybe. Or to learn? Or to redefine bliss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say to redefine it. Mm -hmm. Good one. It's true. I get that sense. I mean, not necessarily in a controlling way. None of my, I mean, my parents or my authority figures, I guess... I've had authority figures in the past try to control me, but I get that idea of even, it's interesting because she says not even about the biological father, but also the authority figure. And then later goes on to say, you can't separate completely from whoever made you. And again, if we're not talking about just the biological father, but also an authority figure, like everybody that you encounter makes up a piece of you, you know, that it's not just about your DNA. That's how I take that. What do you think? And because we're talking about Tori Amos, there's got to be a little bit of God the father in there too, in terms of the one who made you. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. I wouldn't even say just a little. Tori's like, I am the God particle. God <laughs> particle by particle. I'm changing. Slowly. From Record Collector in 1999, November to be exact, Tori says, in Blease, instead of Father who art in heaven, it's Father, I killed my monkey. So there are moments when it becomes more about the intimacy, <laughs> whether I'm singing that about my father or about God the Father. Nothing more intimate than a monkey. Than killing a monkey. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Let's do it together. Because the monkey represents... You know what really brings a couple together? Murdering a monkey. Truly. Isn't that what Natural Born Killers is about? Yeah. Mallory, when we've established the monkey to be the imagination or like the secret world, right? And so if you're telling God the father, father, I killed my monkey, what would you say that means? Well, when you're telling God. If we didn't know what we do know, the first thing that I would think of is like a monkey on your back, like some kind of vice. But because we're talking about Tori Amos and her rich pantheon of characters, I think of the monkey from the purple monkey. From Marianne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it represents her imagination. So if she's telling God, Father, I killed my monkey, knowing that it's about her imagination or about her secret life or her purple monkey or her imaginary friend, it's kind of saying like, I've had to slice out a whole part of myself to be accepted by you or to be able to communicate with you or to be this in this relationship with you, right? Is mm -hmm. that how you're taking it? Yeah, to blend in even. <sighs> Imagine Toriyama's blending in. I've seen her try. Or maybe she faked the monkey's death to prevent people from trying to gain access to it. You know what I mean? Mm. Her interior world still exists, but she's creating a diversion. Like, nope, it's gone. It's like the plot of Days of Our Lives. Oh my gosh. It's like the Days of Our Lives storyline up in here. Which plot? Where's Stefano in all of this? He killed the monkey, but he didn't really. Mm -hmm. What do you think spring tastes like? Peeps. Marshmallow peeps. <laughs> You're right about that, and that is sweet. <laughs> sweet. Ugh. Why did you read this from the Lauren Haynes Factory, posted September 17th, 2019, about mm -hmm. his work with Tori Amos mm -hmm. during this era? I feel like a happy little worker in this factory. And it's going to be a long one, so settle in, people. It's a long shift. 
Working with Tori Amos was always a unique, creative, collaborative effort. Firstly, on my assignments, it was not always that I had respect for the work and talent of the artist, nor was it a prerequisite. I was hired to create their visual marketing or create a look for the album cover, or a look and narrative for a music video. In the case of Tori Amos, I have great respect and admiration for her immense talent and work ethic of both Tori and her team. Aside from the inspiration I derived from that, Tori was one of the very few major artists I worked with that reciprocated that respect by trusting my suggestions and direction, and always giving 100% of herself, fully understanding the process and fully giving herself. Working on this project together was particularly special and unique in that I was retained to photograph the album and single release covers, pre-streaming, and all still images for marketing. I would join Tori out on the road while she was touring with her band of Matt Chamberlain, John Evans, and Steve Caton. During the days, we worked shooting on locations. We work hard and long. And on one of the days we were on location and it was getting close to the time Tori needed to be at the venue for her evening show, John Witherspoon, her then tour manager, her then tour manager, but continue, advised her that they needed to get to the venue. Tori deferred to me. Lauren, did we get what you want yet? We hadn't, and she didn't miss a beat. We got the shot. She got to the show and was brilliant. The entire shoot resulted in a multitude of images. During the shoot, I had mentioned to Tori that I was starting to direct and shoot music videos. Sometime after I went back to New York to edit our shoot, Tori called me back out to do some video. I came back out with a 16mm film camera, packs of film, and a crew of one, Jason Harvey, as my assistant camera operator, chosen because I knew he could handle anything at the speed that was my style of working. Fast! I told Tori I wanted to shoot documentary style and have full access to her before the show and after, including on stage. Tori has never allowed anyone to be on stage during a show before. That's not true. The Matt, ca- the caveat, John, yeah. Kayton. <laughs> Beanie came out once. That's true. She did. The caveat to this is we had the ability to shoot sound. We were just shooting film. So there was no obvious final point of usage. Once again, we met Tori and the band out on tour for a one-day and night shoot. One camera, which I operated, and one assistant. Fortunately, a damn good one. Back in New York, film processed. I was blown away at the energy captured on the film. Then the narrative, behind the scenes, before and after the show, the fans before and during the show, the look of the film, and as always, the presence and complete availability of Tori. But now what to do with it? The live footage encompassed the entire show. Not any one complete song. Had to change film in the camera. This next part of the story I've never spoken of publicly for reasons of film magic. And as this work is used for the marketing of the artist's music, it wasn't my place. Being both a musician and a filmmaker, I understand how the blend of both created new language, so I felt if I edited the film to some existing music, I could show it to Tori and John and give them a taste of the possibility of the footage. I spent days and nights editing to an unnamed song. I knew the energy I wanted, and I had to meet the energy of Tori's show, which I couldn't find in Tori's existing albums. I found the song and completed the edit. I had talked to Tori about the film and what I had done. When Tori and John were next in New York, they came by my studio to watch the footage. At this time, Tori was finishing recording for the album to Venus and Back. I think we were fully involved in the artwork for the record as well. Tori had kept the art department of the record company out of our creative process at first. Both Tori and John were blown away and excited. I can't remember the specifics of how we ended the meeting, but I do remember Tori at some point concluded that she would write and record a song that was inspired by the edited footage of the video, even if only in tempo. This is how the video of Bliss came to be. After it was recorded, I was sent the song and went into the editing suite to make a documentary style video from existing footage that contained extensive live footage which did not contain the song I was making the video for. 
This is the greatest example of why I loved and will always be grateful for the work I got to do with Tori. She always had complete faith and trust in me and my abilities and was willing to put herself and her product on the line and the creative team and management supported her and me. Bliss became the first single and video on the Venus record. It was nominated by the Music Video Producers Association for Best Video Made Under 25,000 and premiered on MTV's 120 Minutes. For those of you too young to remember, like me, it was the coolest show on MTV in the 90s showing the best alternative music. I considered our work as true guerrilla filmmaking in a time that had music video budgets in the millions. And that was my biggest honor, along with editing the performance footage to the recording and creating a live performance of a song that hadn't yet existed and to that point had not ever been performed. I used every frame of footage shot that day and doc... That's interesting to me. Let's talk about that. I used every frame of footage shot that day and documented a day in the life of one of our great artists, her team, the crew, the fans, and mostly the artistry, talent, grit, soul, and commitment of Tori Amos. All made possible by her amazing gift and that place, that zone that she can transport herself to, and her generosity of inviting me and my camera in for many years and projects. This one was extremely special to me, both then and looking back on it 20 years down the road. Thank you, Tori, John Witherspoon, Atlantic Records, and Arthur Spivak for bringing Tori and I together and letting us do our thing as a team on this record. Thank you, Tori, for your complete faith on the cover concepts and the music video concepts. I am forever grateful. A great challenge and a hell of a lot of fun and love. Happy anniversary, Lauren. Sincerely, L. Oren Haynes. Sincerely, L. Lauren. So, yeah, what do you think? So, cup things. Ooh. A cup of, cup of tea? Cup so, of things? He, cup of tea. So, he was working. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was working with Tori, shooting them at the end of the plug tour. And at that point, she definitely knew she was doing a live album, but not that there was going to be another half, another studio album along with it, right? So I don't think the so. concept didn't really change. They just went with these on the road photos. I think you're right, David. So even though the project evolved, the concept for the artwork didn't, or they just decided to keep it or that it could hold both. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because I never really thought about that. He was shooting her on the road mm-hmm. while she was on the tour for the live album she was going to document. So, or the live album she was going to release. And that's kind of cool. Like these are shots from the road of this tour. And that's why maybe the concept was what it was. Yeah. And, you know, going to Venus is a road trip of sorts. That's true. And so I guess they felt they captured that element of travel. I think they did. And just throw in a little purple filter and you're on Venus. Suddenly you're a just purple people eater. I know. I love, I'm sorry. I love the shade of purple. I love the color of this album. Why are you sorry? I'm not sorry. I'm sorry that I have to talk about it again. <laughs> I love it. I'm looking at... If you look at the album, everybody pull out your Venus. If you look at the album, the shade of purple that is on the album on the right side, like the spine, like the right side of the front cover, that like streak running down. Oh, I love that shade of purple. I constantly am like emulating that shade of purple mm. in all my everything. I love is that, that shade. Is that what the color purple is actually about? I've never read yeah. it or seen <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I think it's just like rhapsodizing about the Davinus and Backer artwork. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Alice Walker, she's a fan. Huge fan. Huge fan. (laughs) 
also posted by the Lauren Haynes Factory on July 22nd, 2018 to Facebook. One of the shoots with Tori during pre-show, he posted a picture of her looking into the mirror, um, putting on her lip- own lipstick. Can you imagine? She puts on her own lipstick? <laughs> yeah, right. Putting on her own lip gloss? Mm. He truly did capture a moment in time. Boost it. One, he says about that picture, one of the shoots with Tori during pre-show, knowing that I would also be photographing Tori on stage during the show, my presence here was important to capture the private moment that would shortly enter a very public moment, but it also, and more importantly, allowed our energies to meld together all the way to the stage and allow both our concentration to be placed together and individually focused on where we needed to be. I can't speak for Tori. I don't know why we do. I can't speak for Tori, but I always felt that we merged into one creative space on stage by both understanding and respecting each other's craft. I am sure I was a pain for those in the audience. Sorry. Can confirm. (laughs) But that is why I share it with you now. That reminds me of Peach in Mario Kart, how she'll like knock you off the road and then she'll say, (laughs) sorry. She's so not sorry. I know. She's not. Smug. Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's a smug kind of sorry. But I'm glad that, you know, we are all about documenting, right? Mm-hmm. And so therefore we can't get mad when there's cameras on. Like there's a greater preservation of this moment than just my experience. Yeah, it's bigger than both of us. It is, it is bigger than both of us. It is, is going to go into the annals of time, the historical record, so we can't get mad. Apology accepted, Lauren. Don't think about it again. I don't typically like being told how to feel, but I'll let it slide this one time. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, David, what do we do now? I don't know. That's the end? Maybe we should do a line by line. Energy is flagging. Time to do some lines. Energy's crowning. I'm crowning. You're all about birthing today. You're a birther. I find it sad that the Tory party in the UK is not cool. It's not cool? Oh, I took a journey with that now. I was thinking of like Tory after party, Tory trivia party, but you know, you mean actually (laughs) like the Tories. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Quaker, Quaker. At least it's spelled differently. Is it? Yeah. It's like T-O-R-E-Y. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's not even an I. All right. Line by line. All right. I'm pitching a new bit for this season of the show. You ready? Yes. And that bit is I reveal something, some sort of secret or confession at the top of every act. Is it space-themed? It's space-themed. The last one was like, I don't really care about aliens. This one is, I always like kind of thought that this song was about me. Really? No. Well, kind of. By that, I mean like the Tori Amos community. Oh. And I'm not sure that I'm totally, I don't, and I don't mean I always thought that when the song first came out, I thought that. Because you were associating with a video. But even before we had the video. Oh. When I first heard this song. And after reading Lauren Haynes' statement and knowing that she wrote the song after seeing the tour footage i don't think that's totally untrue granted it's about a lot of other things but i do think there's a thread of that in there and i say that because i think the plug tour was the first time the number of people who toured and did a lot of shows and became regulars like really became a thing there were a few Mm -hmm. outliers before that but really the touring community really swelled and like the people going to meet and greets and all of that and because this was so soon after the fact and because i was still young and very emotional and dramatic and valued the escape that the shows provided me and like being a part of that group of people I really thought this was Tori's little like I don't call you fans I call you ears with feet type of thing like kind of acknowledging you know what we're like a bliss of another kind you guys oh yeah oh let's play this for music plus Canada no no you've been learning French really do it music plus Mm. from October 13th 1999 when the boyfriend leaves and you're alone in the house and you talk to your 
cat differently. Sort of like that. I think the audience is this wonderful multiplicity of cats. And sometimes we need to kick the boyfriends off the stage and have our own little chat. Perhaps it's because it's set against the Bliss video, but I think that statement supports the song being about the fans' relationship with Tori or Tori's relationship to the fans. All of these people who come to the shows and who listen to this music and who show up for me and vice versa, we're of a different breed. We have like a different thing happening, a different place we go for meaning and happiness that you could never understand, mom, type of thing, you know? Totally, I get that, and I thought that too. You did? Uh, yeah, not maybe not as complexly as you did and not with as much evidence and support, but maybe we're a bliss of another kind has always struck me as being about us, mm. our relationship with her. Yeah, but for me, I can trace that to the fact that it was the tour video, like it had a lot to do with the fans in the video, and associating that refrain Maybe we're bliss of another kind with those images in the video. Mm-hmm. Totally. I agree, David. You're not far off. Okay. You're far out, though. Isn't that happening? Eve, I wanted to ask you about the sound effect at the beginning of this song. Now, I've always thought of it as wind, kind of a cold, ominous, barren landscape sound. That's wind. what they'd have you believe, David. We were talking about it earlier, and you were like, no, David, that is pink noise. Now, I would assume that's just noise for ladies and confirmed bachelors. What is pink noise? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you, David. Pink noise is very similar to white noise. White noise is just sort of all frequencies distributed evenly. It's just kind of the soft white noise that you have in your white noise machine or sometimes the static in the TV can be paired with white noise. White noise has all frequencies distributed evenly, but pink noise has more of the lower end frequencies distributed and less of the higher end frequencies. So it just comes across as deeper. And to me, I know it's meant to sound like the wind, but it does not sound to me like a field recording of the wind. It's always sounded to me like pink noise put on a curve that they want you to think is wind. I don't know. Maybe that's what the Martians, the Martians of Martian thought that space sounded like here at the beginning of this album. But there is in fact no sound in space, which is why no one can hear you scream in space, I guess. Father, I killed my monkey. A confession, right out of the gate. Dun, 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 dun. Don't, don't. What do you think this line means? We've already talked about it at length. Ad nauseum, some might say. We have to believe that it is in fact Clunky the monkey. Not just any monkey, but Clunky the purple monkey from her childhood. Her imaginary friend who also shows up in Marianne. She did say that once. Yes, she did. Since you just did Bliss, I want to ask you, because we've got... um. An online question from uh, Victoria, or Vicky, I guess as she's also called it, says, and it refers to the monkey lyric in Bliss. It says, is the monkey from Bliss the same purple monkey in Marianne? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing like an inside question to start off, right? Um, it's funny you're asking uh -huh. this, because Johnny and I were having this really beautiful wine last night. It's something I never do. <laughs> right. You guys, um... <laughs> No, you know I'd do that. Like if I didn't do this, mm -hmm. I'd go and and take off my shoes. Well, maybe, <laughs> but yeah. I'd go take off my shoes and pound grapes if they'd let me take the good bottles home with me. Very Lucy Ricardo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, 
We were talking last night, and he, it's funny because he asked me about this, and he didn't know this question because uh -huh. he didn't see them till today. And um, the weird thing about the purple monkey is I had a, an imaginary friend called Clunky the Monkey, the purple monkey. Mm -hmm. And when the bishop would come over in the church to see my dad, you know, of course, the bishop would always sit on Clunky the Monkey. <laughs> Especially when he wanted to pray. And um, that was sort of how Clunky started. Hmm. And he sort of represented to me, it was Clunky the Monkey, Clunky Timmy, and Mr. Spaghetti. Right. They were my friends. Oh, so. I'm trying to lose Mr. Have, have Spaghetti you, <laughs> a bit, you know. You've reconciled these feelings about the bishop sitting on Clunky, though, that you've worked through that? Well, <laughs> instead of... Father who art in heaven, it's Father I killed my monkey. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. She said that exact thing. Right. So we can only assume she's not lying to us. Not what you can assume about the requests. Yes. But about this. But as you so beautifully articulated, what that really means, probably, is her imagination, period. Or her rich kind of internal world that she thought others were trying to access and perhaps manipulate. Control. Yeah. I did beautifully articulate that. You and did. I appreciate you seeing me. Thank you. You've been working on your diction on tour. I do agree with you, agreeing with me. I think it is about her imagination. Or that secret world. I killed that secret world. Because even as early as 92, she was talking about that secret world. Like, because father or mother wouldn't know what she was up to behind the piano when she was wiggling. When she was wiggling, know? I know. That's all part of that to me. That's all part of that secret interior, that rich interior life. I let it out to taste the sweet of spring. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier in the show, too. I was joking that she, like, faked the monkey's death. But there's actually maybe a little element of truth to that because she follows I killed my monkey with I let it out. So it's almost like she's trying to retain that inner world, walling it off to other people, but finding a different way to have it, I guess. What do you think? She didn't kill it. She let it out. She liberated it somehow. Yeah, that's interesting because... Tasting the sweet of spring means that, like, okay, my interior life has always been just for me, but now, now I'm sort of experimenting with that a little bit more, and it's because something about the monkey is different. The monkey is trying new things. It's tasting the sweet of spring. It's like being exposed somehow to. It's like getting out there. So it feels like maybe she. It's the opposite of killing it, right? Yeah, I guess I have to walk back my statement a little bit because maybe she's actually opening it up. And that also goes to her relationship with the fans because her internal world has been sort of offered up and opened up to the people who listen to her music. So that's one way of letting it out. Oh, yeah. I mean, killing my monkey could be as simple as like, it's no longer a monkey. If you're thinking about my monkey on my back, too, like you said earlier, it's no longer a secret you know, it's no longer my secret life. I no longer have the boundary between my secret life and my real life. Mm. Yeah, it does resonate. And I was just thinking of it in terms of if it's any kind of vice, maybe it's like the chains of shame, let's say, because Tori has talked about having a lot of shame as a child, I think, and feeling kind of alienated and having a totally different perspective and experience from those around her. These chains, they. Yep. Not again. Her heart is sick of being. So she's kind of freeing herself from all of that. Let that monkey out, girl. Wonder if I will wander out. 
First of all, let's give it up for the alliteration. Wonder if I will wander out. Wonder if I will wander out to see your wonder wall. Oh, out of what? The enclosure of my upbringing, my family, your expectations. My own mind. That too. My own limitations. Mm. Just more time to see if I'm still free from you. Test my tether to another instance of alliteration. Test my tether to see if I'm still free. See if I'm free. I think she's going to free herself from our opinion and from our religion. Yeah. Truly. And I really like the term tether because it's not like she's cutting the cord. She's testing the tether. She's not removing the tether. Mm -hmm. It's testing my tether. Test it for tautness. Exactly. (laughs) Test the tether for tautness. Test my tether. you who do you think she's talking about god whatever that authority figure is that she mentioned in some of the interviews we say god and her father god the father i think they're both authority figures or authoritarian figures that she sort of refers to interchangeably what does free from you mean in your opinion what is her experience of being free from you like test my tether to see if i'm still free from you which goes back to like, you're never free from the people that made you. Mm-hmm. You're never not going to be part of them. Mm-hmm. So, but what does that mean in this verse to see if I'm still free from you? Like if, see if I can still trust my instincts or be my own person. Is that what she's saying? I think so. Trying to please you to my own detriment mm-hmm. still, or just having my sense of self colored by your values and your judgments and the shame that I experienced as a kid or whenever. We're all trying to individuate and differentiate, but we can get drawn back into family stuff, family conflict. and Yeah, and that's why I like the see if I'm still free. Like, I was free at one point, and I need to, It's a, you have to check yourself. You have mm-hmm. to constantly check in. And not that I think this song is really about, like, the family system or whatever, but you probably have the experience when you go to a family event or you're back to your parents, you all step back into whatever roles you played. Yeah, for sure. In the past. And you get drawn back into all of that, so. Yeah, we're still arguing about things that happened in high school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Still talking about things that happened in high school on this show. Oh, (laughs) I wasn't yet in high school when the song came out. Right. Steady as it comes right down to you. Like it's always all, every road leads back to your door. Mm, my dough. It's always going to come right down to you. And steady, it, the phrase steady as it comes implies to me, there's something about that that makes me feel like it's always going to go back to you. Mm. Right? I feel like this is a critical turning point. Like she has a choice to be made. There's like, I don't know, some kind of rising action. This is like a climactic point in whatever this story is. And it's like you have, you're being presented this, you're being presented with this opportunity. Are you going to do what you've always done or are you going to do something different is how it feels to me. Talk more about that. It's all you. What are you going to do? What do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? Are you going to take a risk or are you just going to do what you've always done and kind of dim your bulb? So you read that as another way of saying that as steady as it comes right down to myself? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not another, not an other, but the you in this is the narrator. Yeah. That's almost the exact opposite of what I think. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, great. I forgot this part of the show. (laughs) 
Say more. In my memory, we agree on everything. <laughs> Except for team noun, team verb. Yeah, I'll say. I just feel like, steady as it comes right down to you, if she's talking about excising herself from this authority figure, and then also, like, you're never free from who created you, that it always comes down to this relationship or this unspoken thing between them. Who we are to each other. Yeah, steady as it comes right down to you, always. I don't know why I feel that, but... I've said it all. Imagine if she just ended the song right here. I've said it all. I've said it all quick. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) But to me, that implies, like, there's nothing I can say anymore that will change anything between us. Mm -hmm. Like, I've said it all. Yeah, you're right. Right? Or, no more talk, it's time for action. Yeah, I've said it all. So maybe we're a bliss of another kind. Like the so maybe I love so much in this song because it implies that that's what it, like this is it. Like not giving up, but accepting that this will always be this way. Accepting that we have to be something different to each other in order to survive or to be together in any way. So maybe we're a bliss of another kind. This isn't what I thought bliss looked like, but this is bliss of another kind. I really don't like the expression agree to disagree. Ew, absolutely not. Because I will never agree to that. But there's an element of that here, and it's maybe like I've got to go do something else, and we're probably just never going to fully understand each other. What feels right to me or what I need to go and do, you're never going to understand, and that's fine. I believe this is heaven to no one else but me, Eve. Oh, I love that. And I'll defend it long as I can be. I also like how in the booklet she separates, so maybe we're a bliss. You know how she was using those, like, greater signs? Yeah. As punctuation or, like, line separations because they were... It was like paragraph form. Mm -hmm. She writes, so maybe we're a bliss. And then next line of another kind. So it's like introducing that we are a bliss of another kind. I don't know. I feel like how you said agree to disagree. There's something a little bit more positive in this line for me. I, I agree with what you're saying. Like I hear that in it. Like, I'm busy, I have to, like, we just have to figure this out, or we just have to accept this, right? (laughs) I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. I got a whole tour to plan. Yeah. But to me, I think, in addition to that, is kind of a sweetness that comes from accepting the other person for being all that they are, and that they are just always going to be that way. And you've known them for so long, that's just going to be how they are. And so, in any interaction, you have to put that forward. You have to, like, lead with that. And then it just makes everything better. If you come in knowing the capabilities of a person or the entire breadth of a person, like puts less strain and there are less disagreements. Would we call that radical acceptance? I hate putting the word radical in front of anything. You do? (laughs) Like, yeah, like radical gratitude. But I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about. No, you're right. Because we so rarely accept that to accept fully is radical. Yeah, go ahead. Well, rather than trying to change you or wish that you would be different, I would be better served just assessing what I'm willing to tolerate. Truly. Because you know yourself better than anyone. And you can, you, you know... You can set your limitations there rather than trying to set them on another person. Boundaries. Yeah, or argue with another person to stay within your boundaries. Maybe this song is just really about appropriate boundaries. I agree. I think it is. Lately, I'm into circuitry. circuitry. She's dabbling. What do you picture when she sings circuitry? 
That big giant mixing board from the Choir Girl EPK. Oh, when she's like, these knobs, they do stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do stuff. So you mean actual, this is like literal? I think so. And that's because this is the first, not the first new music they've recorded in that studio. But you have to imagine that that board was brand new. Mm. And they're like learning it through Choir Girl. And I don't know, this is, it's just, lately I'm into circuitry because the music itself, this is actually a great line for what you pointed out in the other episode in the primer because it's about the woman, Venus to Venus and back, finding the internal woman, but also going to space and back, like the journey of it. So this line really kind of holds both of those things in one line because I'm looking at it as like the space sounds and like the electronica and going to space of the music. And I can already tell that you're thinking about it as like the inner workings of the heart. (laughs) That makes you sick. That makes me sick. Like, I hate introspection. (laughs) I I do. I spent 2021 introspecting. I'm done. (laughs) What to expect when you're introspecting? Nothing for me. (laughs) Nothing. I much prefer outrospection. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think it holds both. I do think it's very little. And she's talking about technology and even recording technology and sort of experimenting in the studio and all the electronica that we have here. But I also picture like a double helix, Like, Mm. like DNA and kind of this weaving together of self and other and trying to separate oneself and i don't know kind of the circuitry of a strand of dna i think i love that i really do love that and i love that that is so embedded in our physical makeup the idea that there is this complex inner robot or inner robotic working it's just so complex you know what it means to What it means to be made of you, but not enough for you. I think that what you said is spot on because she introduces, I think specifically lately I'm into circuitry because what the first thing you think of when you think of circuitry is you think of a circuit, right? Obviously. And like electronics and things, that's just the immediate, I think, picture that comes to mind. Did you go to Circuit City when you were a kid? Yeah, I did. Of course I did. It was where service was state of the art. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I needed state-of-the-art service, Mm -hmm. so that's where I went. Still do. Lately, I'm into circuitry, though, and then the pause after, and then her clarifying what it means to be made of you but not enough for you, then changes the meaning of circuitry to me. And so I think you're spot on that it does hold both, and yeah. Yeah. What does it mean to be from you but not of you, kind of? Or not enough for you. Yeah. And you know, a lot of parents want their children to be little mini versions of them or to hold all of their like dreams and expectations and they live vicariously through their children so to me there's like how can i hold all of that and be what you wanted me to be but also follow my own bliss Uh you know (laughs) redefine joy find what it means to me to be happy yeah or just live authentically truly and also as gay young kids what it means to be made of you but not enough for you i know i just hate that we always put on our very rose colored glasses and make everything gay but that's the way it is what do you mean we put on our rose colored glasses (laughs) thank you better Uh our mauve colored glasses our fuchsia shades do you say mauve gucci shades sean marjanian oh did you get a raise Uh, no sean marjanian i guess you weren't listening to tour all night sean marjanian's obsessed with gucci glasses my biggest takeaway was goddess slipper but anyway oh goddess slipper Uh (laughs) your shooties Mm mm-hmm no, but that's where that line was when I was at that age. Of course, at this time of course. That's what it meant. And it's not that I'm putting on any rose-colored glass or like have to, have to make everything gay. But truly, she got what it was like to be made of someone but not enough for someone. Maybe not for her in a gay way, 
but it resonated with a very specific population for that reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So she got it, and I have to acknowledge it. I wonder if you can buy locate. Well, can you? I asked. I can't. Can't? I've never identified as a bilocator. Really? No. I've always been a homolocator. <laughs> a monolocator? Bilocation is defined as the existence or the ability to exist simultaneously in two places or the power of being in two places at the same time. That obviously. does make sense. But more importantly, it's a miraculous power attributed to some of the saints. Do you know it's a very religious thing? So I found this thing called What About Bilocation on the Divine Mercy website. And they say, did you know that St. Faustina had the gift of bilocation? Bilocating is the ability to be in two places at once. One time, Jesus told her that she would recite the Divine Mercy chaplet by the bedside of a dying man in despair in order to obtain mercy for him. And she wrote, suddenly I found myself in a strange cottage where an elderly man was dying amidst great torments. When I began to pray, the soul became calm and filled with trust, rested in the Lord. At the same moment, I found myself again in my own room. How this happens, I do not know. This wasn't the only time St. Faustina bilocated to the bedside of a dying person. Isn't that interesting? It's like a saintly thing. Yeah. I love the story of Faustina Aguilera. Yeah. I love it because in typical Tory fashion, it holds this element of kind of like science and technology, but also spirituality and Christianity. Absolutely. And the saints have the superpower of bilocation. It's true. And just hearing that story or reading that story changes the line for me. And I wonder if you can bilocate has always been the, the second person you, all of us. I wonder if we can all bilocate. And I wonder if the ability to bilocate is possible. And I wonder if the, it is possible to bilocate. But now if she's talking about God the Father, which she has said that she is in some way, right? Yeah. And you can presume that made of you but not enough for you isn't just about her own father, but possibly God the Father as well. I wonder if you can bilocate seems very pointed at that person to me. I wonder if you can bilocate. And then when she gets to your supernova juice, you know it's true, I'm part of you. It all seems very pointed. So I changed my mind on I wonder if you can bilocate being about the thought of bilocation. I just wonder if that's a possibility. Make sense? It does. Get it? Got it? Good. There's something about being duplicitous in this line to me and someone deceiving you their words not aligning with their actions or maybe being a hypocrite i don't know but it's funny because again even though she shifts from you to i i've always thought that she's constantly singing about herself <laughs> and maybe what do you mean? She, maybe she's just like i'll start referring to myself as you so they don't get sick of it but that the <sighs> narrator when she says you can bilocate that she's still singing about herself not some other character in the song yeah like can i do this can i balance your wants and my own can i be two things at once oh i love it i love it because it's her looking at herself in the mirror singing to herself or can i exist in your world and in my own interior world at the same time keep the wall up separating them so they don't pollute and bleed into one another you know i love it build that wall Build that wall between us. Oh, man. I never thought of it that way. I never considered her speaking to herself. She fooled me with a you. <laughs> she got me. She's a wordsmith. Oh. Is that, Is Is that what I taste? Your supernova juice? Thoughts? What is supernova juice? I don't think it's a thing. 
I mean, obviously, it's a term she invented. Right. And there is also a book called Supernova Juice. It's an ebook, but it was published recently. Really? So it's twenty. It's twenty-one pages for chapter two. Supernova Juice, chapter two, out of the blue, part one. And that's the only thing I could find online about it. Huh. Twenty-one pages. It's five dollars. I didn't buy it. But a supernova is a powerful and luminous stellar explosion. This transient astronomical event occurs during the last evolutionary stages of a massive star or when a white dwarf is triggered into runaway nuclear fusion. Hmm. The original object called a progenitor either collapses to an... Okay, yeah. To me, this line is linked to taste the sweet of spring and not just because mm. the word taste is used twice, although that is part, mm-hmm. of, that is part of it, I guess. There's like promise and potential... Is that what I taste? There's like a being kind of coaxed forward, testing the tether, the promise of something pleasurable. And like supernova and supernova juice obviously feels sort of orgasmic. Yeah. Something pleasurable and alluring, um, whether that be sexual or not. So that's just like kind of I'm being invited to experience something different. Am I going to accept that invitation is what this all feels like to me. I love that. And I, the way that line is written, is that what I taste? It's in, very present in the moment. Is that is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah, but with Supernova Juice, knowing that it's like the end of a star's life, it just feels to me like this, uh, the shoot off, the offshoot of the star, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like I need like to hold up a tarp. Her. Ooh, God. Yeah, kind of. It feels very profane. Close what your mouth. What do you think is more, it doesn't it, doesn't it to you? Yeah, like, it does. It feels to me like it's very vulgar, not vulgar, but like It is, I think so too. Yeah. 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 If you were going to like pick up this movie at Blockbuster or more likely than not behind like the swinging saloon doors in the adult section. Oh, yeah. Behind the beaded curtain. Yeah. Like there'd be like the font that the movie title was in would be like a runny white font. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. What to use more profane, supernova juice or cinnabar juice? Good question. I think it's supernova juice. Cinnabar juice just makes me think of Cinnabon, which is also just like white frosting running down my face. (laughs) (laughs) I think supernova juice and cinnabar juice can come together, if you know what I'm saying. I think they're different. They come from different people. Yeah, but sometimes two become one. Oh, I love that song. Mm -hmm. You know it's true. I'm part of you. You know it's true. Don't deny it. Truly, though, like you can't deny it and we'll never be able to unmake that true mm-hmm. or, to, you know, we'll never be able to separate mm-hmm. ourselves. I'm going to skip ahead here and say that this might be my favorite vocal moment. And I can see why it was Grammy nominated. The way she sings, you know, it's true. I'm part of yeah. It really is kind of like accusatory, but maybe also she's directing it at herself again. Like you can't deny this. And there's kind of like a satisfaction in it too. Like this cuts to the bone. I'm going to say something you're really not going to like, but you know, it's true. I'm part of it. Yeah. I don't know. There's really like character there. Yeah, I agree. There's character there. I've never heard of it as an accusation, but I can hear it. There's like smug satisfaction. Like, you know what? And if you don't like it, you made it. Mm Mm-hmm. You break it, you bought it. So with that being said, it's time for a second chorus. Okay. Steady as it comes right down to you. I've said it all. Again. <laughs> second verse, same as the first. So 
So maybe you're a four-horse engine with a power drive. That is not a big engine, right? That's, I was I just going to say. I don't know a lot about cars, <laughs> but I feel like that's, that's not a lot of power. I'm Googling how many horses can an engine have. Well, I'm duck-duck-going it because I don't use Google. How much horsepower can my engine make? <laughs> how many horses can you get from the 650 engine? It really depends on how the engine is tuned. 2,500 cc is 2.5 liter. All right, well, which I didn't th- sign okay. up for auto shop, so. <laughs> how much horsepower does a horse have? How many horsepowers does a horse have? There's all these Google terms. How many horses can I get out of my 350? How many horses can you put on three acre? How many foals can a horse have at once? But meanwhile, okay. I just wanted to get some clarity on what a power drive is, potentially. Oh, yeah. So I've been drive? doing a little bit of research. Oh, good. Do give me that research. It's used to convert electrical or hydraulic power into mechanical motion, often rotary, and to drive a mechanical actuation system. Well, she is into cars. She is. She knows Formula One on the asphalt. Yeah, and she was talking about Formula One a lot at this time, too. So the only way she could relate. So maybe you're a four-horse engine with a power drive. I'm still not done with this. I'm going to Google, is a four-horse engine big? <laughs> it's Well, we know the answer to that. Is that good or no? That, it is not good. Are you sure? Yeah, you were robbed. No, I feel like four horses at that time. Cars had just been made, and it was 1999. I mean, what do we think of four horses? The four horsemen of the apocalypse? Oh! <gasps> My God. Talk more about that. We're racing to the end. We're racing to the end. Talk more about that. That's all I got. (laughs) So maybe you're a four horse engine. The four horsemen, like that's what fuels you is this religious thing. This four horsemen. Oh my God, you're onto something. I've never even considered that. All your doom and gloom, fire and brimstone, book of revelations, nonsense. You're bumming me out, man. That's your power drive. Like, oh yeah. Power trip. Wow. That's really great. Not only are you being driven by the four horsemen of the apocalypse and all of that, but you have a power drive on it. It reminds me of those people that are screaming on the streets of L.A., on the streets of downtown L.A., like with screaming the gospel into a microphone. Yes. Or driving in their car with their speakers like on the van. Repent. Like, yelling what I'm talking yeah, about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never considered that, David. You are a prophet. Maybe you're a four-horse engine. Ah, uh, you think so? Yeah. I don't know. What would your engine be fueled on? Coke Zero. <laughs> what about you? Diet Coke. Ah, similar, but completely different. A hot Kachina who wants into mine. Why she gotta be so hot? Why she gotta be hot? A hot Kachina? Hang on, I'm not done with the four horse engine yet. Oh, you're not? Once again, I've never thought of the you as referring to another person. I thought she was referring to self. And in that way, I always felt like this line was kind of connected to, not really because it came way ahead, but was another version of like, you got you a fast horse, darling. A four horse engine doesn't seem all that impressive, but it's what I got to work with. And you are enough is kind of how I always interpreted this. Like, this might not look very impressive to you, but... Are you sure that four horses isn't enough to work with? I'm going to text my dad. Google's not producing any good results. Stay tuned. Because you've never heard of a 10-horse engine. You've never heard of anything like that, right? Have you? I haven't. Well, isn't horsepower in terms of engines always... It's certainly usually over four. Yeah, because what I just Googled is a four-horse engine good. And it was like one of the Google terms was how much horsepower does a horse have? So therefore, a horse is a measure of horsepower is what I'm guessing just from a rudimentary search where I only read the headlines. All right. Well, I Um, just looked up what the average horsepower of a car is, and it falls between 180 and 200. So, yeah, but that's not a horse. That's the horsepower. 200 horsepower, maybe four horses. You no. know what I'm saying? I don't know. I, I asked my dad. Stay tuned, people. Why would one horse have more than the power 
Why would, just like one, why would one, one D- horse embody the power of multiple horses? Because like one DB, one decibel for we in the podcast editing vertical, it's a giant range between one and two decibels. Like one centimeter holds 10 millimeters. Yeah, math. All right, well, just so we know, Horsepower refers to the power an engine produces, and it's calculated through the power needed to move 550 pounds one foot in one second, or by the power needed to move 33,000 pounds one foot in one minute. The power is gauged by the rate it takes to do the work. <laughs> we re- <laughs> Same. We really should uh, do a crossover episode with Click and Clack, mm-hmm. the car guys. We need more horse girls on this show. <laughs> oh, we do! Wait, I'm obsessed with this idea of Bliss being about the self, or her singing to herself. Looking at, because I've, once you said that, it unlocked this image for me of, well, the cover image. <laughs> it unlocked the cover of the album for me, which her just staring at herself in the mirror, singing this to herself. So maybe you're a four horse engine with a power drive, which is a good, is it bad? We'll find out. My dad will text me or he won't. Who knows? The world is a vampire. But she's staring at herself, egging herself on, or what is she doing there? A hot kachina who wants into mine. Because a hot kachina, a kachina is a, a Native American like doll symbol from the Southwest, thank you, in the Pueblo cultures. But when I first heard the song, I thought it was the Russian nesting dolls, you know? Mm-hmm. That there was like, you would open one, there was another, there's another, another. So I always took that line as a hot kachina who wants into mine, like you're trying to burrow your way into my being. That's hot. I know. It was, <laughs> that's a hot kachina. My dad says it's small. <laughs> what do you want to do with it? Excuse me? <laughs> the four horse engine. <laughs> See? Bob knows. Well, you and Bob can just go have a nice life together, can't you? <laughs> he said it was small. that mean a hot kachina that wants into mine you're what into mine my being obviously into mm. mine what is a kachina used for or what does it symbolize the kachina concept has three different aspects the supernatural being the kachina dancers and kachina dolls which are the small dolls carved in the likeness of the kachina that are given only to those who are or will be responsible for the respectful care and well-being of the doll such as a mother wife or sister so it's a very feminine symbol they are spirits and personifications of things in the real world these spirits are believed to visit the hopi villages during the first half of the year the local pantheon of kachinas varies from pueblo community to pueblo community a kachina can represent anything in the natural world or cosmos from a revered ancestor to an element a location a quality a natural phenomenon or a concept there may be kachinas for the sun stars thunderstorms wind corn insects as well as many other concepts so i love this idea i feel like in typical tori fashion this is another instance of her calling in the divine feminine like inana or whoever or whoever the hot she needs a big loan from the girl zone kachina Mm-hmm. Kachina. China. But Cochina in Spanish means dirty girl. Cochina. I don't mind a dirty girl. So there's also maybe a little bit of a hot Cochina. A hot Cochina. And of course, opening this album with Juarez or Juarez being the next track, I heard this line as a hot Cochina, which is when you call someone like a nasty girl or a dirty girl, you say Cochina. Mm. And then you, you slap their hand. I'm not saying that that's what she was doing. I thought that meant kitchen. No, that's Cochina. Oh. <laughs> kitchen you linoleum floored bitch so what do you think she means by this lyric i really do like this idea of kind of like calling in the divine feminine or sort of grounding yourself in the sense of power but there seems to be an invasion happening here oh yeah more than that like this outside force that's trying to violate you so again like defending yourself against other people's ideas and expectations or agendas or whatever that is 
I want to stay pure. Pure and authentically me. I don't want to be poisoned by your terracide. Is that poison? I don't know what terracide is, but it doesn't sound good. No, it supports this next line. Terracide is the murder of the earth. Like terracide. Uh-huh. Like leaving terra. So is this the first instance of her referencing the greater earth in relation to what's happening inside take it with your terracide like you're gonna take me along with the earth or what is it knowing what terracide is well yeah i mean literally i can't help but think of conservative climate change deniers so this insidious force that's bent on destruction so then it tells me that the hot kachina who wants into mine is not a good thing right which makes me feel like it's the opposite of calling in the divine feminine it's being invaded by a a dirty girl a cochina (laughs) (laughs) or something else being invaded to me feels more accurate Mm -hmm. and then four horse engine with a power drive also feels like i mean that could also be those women those mrs crocodiles too that tori's talked about yeah or those small men who have only a four horse engine put a power drive on it so it's like the very loud they're going down the street very slowly but very loud yeah it's like they're compensating for something she's like oh shit you sign prince of darkness try squire of dimness exactly are we still thinking about that Mm. because i'm being honest because it's always the people who scream more like that you don't listen to you know what i mean like yeah it's got a power drive on that tiny little engine of his (laughs) oh god yeah it's small what are you gonna do with it right it's the motion (laughs) of the ocean to ocean ocean to ocean important to note in the lyric book that she says take it with your terracide and then we're a bliss of another kind it's no more maybe it's just she ends it with we're a bliss of another kind we are definitive statement exactly and so therefore it seems to me the song ends with some sort of acceptance she said acceptance. it all finally she should have ended with that line yeah anyhow what's your favorite lyrical moment it's the french say moment oh god no sorry <laughs> i think my favorite lyrical moment is made of you but not enough for you Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. What about you? Is that what I taste your supernova juice? I love the tense that it's written in. I love the immediacy of the moment. And then, of course, I love the flow of the phrase supernova juice. Yeah. You know how she talked about Native Invader just kind of plopping down on her head from the cosmos? That's That, to me, is supernova juice. What's your favorite uh, vocal moment? Was it, you know, it's true part of yeah? Yeah, I think so. I also like kind of, you know, as she really works herself into a lather with a four horse engine with a power drive. I say it. It's really fun to sing along to, especially in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. I love the come down from the lather. Bliss of, a bliss of, a bliss of, nothing. Yeah. <sighs> I also like the final study where she sings a steady. I said a study. I do that in and of itself, just on its own, regularly in my daily life. I just think like <laughs> a study. Right, now I will too. Please do. Join me. Well, we've gone on long enough, David. I think it's time to take a little break. Mm. And let's just, let's explore what the 90s were like, particularly 1999. It was a very weird year. Yeah. So tonight I'm gonna party like it's 1999. It's 2 a.m., January 1st. Year 2000. Power's out. It's pitch black. You need light. If you planned ahead, you'll have one of these. Just wind it up 
you'll have light and communication. Call now and get the ultimate Y2K survival kit from BeCalm.com. You'll receive the Sunburst, the premier wind-up and solar-powered flashlight and radio, a video resource guide with real advice from leading experts, a diagnostic computer program to test your PC. You'll receive three soup samples from Hourglass Foods, food storage you'll want to eat. Plus, you'll receive a step-by-step guide that will show you how to prepare without wasting a single penny. Call now and order your ultimate Y2K survival kit. You get the wind-up and solar-powered flashlight radio, video diagnostic software, food samples, and preparation guide. A $90 value, all for only $49.95. Call 1-800-303-8747 now and tell the operator to rush an ultimate Y2K survival kit to your home. Call now. 2000 Well, I'm very excited to bring to you all this special treat that we have on this season of Drive All Night. In an exclusive series of interviews, we will be probing to the heart of the Y2K bug. Welcome to the show, Y2K bug. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I don't really go out much, but thank you. Thank you for having me here. I've heard a lot about your show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How have you been? We haven't heard much from you in the last 22 years. Everything going okay? Well, you know, I've been sort of keeping to myself, you know. I really enjoy just a hermit lifestyle. I'm, I've got my things. I've got my, my hobbies, my projects, my passion projects. And I just sort of stay, you know, I stay inside. You know, ever since the pandemic, the pandemic really just changed a lot of things for people. And, and I've just really just stayed inside for the last three years. But honestly, even before that, even before that, I was staying inside. I was doing a lot of, um, uh, you know, I'm working on a stop motion animation film, and that just takes a lot of time inside. So I'm, 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 an, I'm an indoor bug these days, <laughs> as it were, as it were. I have to say I'm a big fan of your work. Oh, well, that's so lovely to hear. Thank you so much. I, I'm a big fan of your work, so uh, thank you for the praise. Thank you. Thank you. No, I am. I, I appreciate it. I, I do appreciate hearing it from the kids. Thank you. What you managed to pull off was truly remarkable. I mean, all the panic. You didn't really have to do anything except simply exist. <laughs> I mean, that was, wasn't that wild what we managed to pull off? I mean, my goodness. You know, I, I can't take full credit for it. I mean, the Republicans did get involved, and I, I really just, uh, survivalists got involved. I mean, it was really a group project. It wasn't just me. And, and, and I mean, I don't think anyone had the foresight. I don't think anybody realized, like, how global this thing was going to go. It was going to go. We were going to be pretty big. I, I think if we'd known that going in, we would have uh, we would have uh, prepared some things on the back end, if you know what I'm saying. But, but we had nothing. I mean, we were just, it was just word of mouth at one point. My goodness. But, you know, things don't spread these days as they did back then. Now you can fact check things. Oh, God, fact checking, am I right? Fact checking will be the death of all of us. I'm telling you, I'll say that now. I'll say it proud. Lock her up. Uh, fact checking, huh? But yeah, yeah, it was uh, the panic. The panic is really, it's some of my finest work, actually, for looking back on it. I do look back on those days fondly. I, I really, really do. But I can't take full credit for it. I can't take full credit for it. A lot of people didn't know how computers worked, and that really worked in our favor. So, yeah, I, I can't take full credit, but thank you. Thank you. It was a remarkable time. Now, this probably sounds like a silly question, considering you're the Y2K bug, but do you have anything brewing for 2023 or, or soon? You know, you know, I've been working behind the scenes on a few projects, you know. I really got my hands tied right now with this monkeypox business. I really, uh, I really am very, very busy. Oh, that was you. That's sort of on the down low. That was you. Wow. You know, like I said, I, I don't work alone. It's, uh, it's, uh, I work with a team of people. I work with a very, very good team. Good job. Good job. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I'm going to tell you this. And I just, you just, I feel like I can trust you. I, I can tell by the sound of your voice that you're a great person and an even better podcast. Host, but I, uh, I was also behind the insurrection. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, I mean, anywhere the Republicans are, you'll find me there. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, yes. I'm not one to brag, but <laughs> I mean, we got up to some mischief. Oh, boy. What we did with Donald Trump. Oh, God. <laughs> 
I want to ask you, so it's come to my attention that you're a super fan of the Tori Amos song, Bliss. Oh, oh my, yes. I, I love Ellen. I think that she's a fine gal. I think that she is just tops. Ellen is tops. Yes. I'm a, I'm a big fan of her earlier work, you know, her uh, when, I, when I Was Dreaming. I love that song, Walking With You, Baltimore. That's where I originated. I'm not sure if you're aware, but that's where I, uh, that's where I was birthed, hatched, as it were. Sacked. I think we call it sacked now. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of her early work. All, all the way through until her first record, I'm a huge fan. And, uh, you know, the record before, before White Can't Tori Reed, there was a record, I don't know if you know about that, but there was a record. Uh, I forget the name of it, but it's out there. Um, yeah, it's a dance record, disco, Skirts on Fire, I believe was the big single. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Skirts on Fire. But I, I also like Bliss. I don't know if you know, but this is actually a Tori Amos podcast. And well, I'll be damned. Are you, are you shit me? Are you just joking? This is a Tori Amos podcast, a whole podcast about Tori Amos? Yeah. Ellen Amos. Ellen Amos has really done remarkable for herself now, hasn't she? She's uh, got her own podcast now. Yes. I just want to get a little insider perspective from, you know, the the man, the myth, the legend, the bug herself, the bug himself, they self. Yeah, I, I just wanted to get a little... Why do you love this song so much? What's your history with this song? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. I actually was, um, I was listening to Bliss when I had the plan to take over the computers. You oh. know, I, I, Bliss, it was something about, there's a line in that song about circuitry. I was, at that time, I was into circuitry, so it really resonated with me at that moment in time. And, and um, you know, I thought, what if I could, what if I could take this, this idea by location and, and transmute it and be everywhere all at once. And it really was just the inspiration. This song was the inspiration behind the panic. And, you know, you really just, you really, really just gotta give her the credit you really gotta give yeah. her the credit where can people find you online if they if they wanted to follow you <laughs> oh you're not gonna get me again no 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 oh no don't look at me don't find me i'll find you i'll call you okay i'll call you <laughs> i will I have your number. The Y2K bug, everybody. They'll be back next week for the juarez episode but for right now let's listen to yanta It's very simple. Not that I could have come up with it, but it's very simple and effective. It's ominous. Oh, yeah. I think it is when she starts it live in particular, too. I love that. Is that what we call the resolve? As we listen to this, I'm really picturing 
what a music video for this song could be, and it looks nothing like the actual music video for this song. I love the music video for this song, but it is a shame also that there wasn't another like video that explored the world of the song too, you know? Yeah, we got two Cornflake Girls, why not two Blisses? This is a catchier first single than Spark. Yes. I do too. Is it a catchier first single than Sneeze? No. think of her not working herself up into a lather as you call it i know i'm lathered up i love this love this god bless yanta i'm glad that yanta exists <laughs> i truly am well played but i could tell it wasn't on a busendorfer the court you could <laughs> yeah what an ear thank you <laughs> What was your favorite musical moment? I love the chorus. I love hearing it because there's so much production on this, just hearing it on piano. Oh, really? Yeah. It's really kind of rousing and triumphant. And we're slingshotted out of the verses into this big chorus. And I just loved hearing the detail and like the syncopation mm-hmm. of the piano. Yeah, I loved it. Mm-hmm. How about you? I love how she builds this world, right? And it's very simple. Like I said, it's like not itself especially complex, although it's very ominous and like all of the things that you said. And it's pretty straightforward. First chorus, verse chorus, and it does open up in the chorus, like you said, and it does sound triumphant. I agree with all of that. And I love all of that. But then how, with just like the simplest return, she can build the tension at the end. And that's my favorite moment. It's just how like it just circles back in on itself so unexpectedly three times, you know, and it just uh, climaxes for lack of a better word, you know? Mm. You know? Yeah, I do know. First five rows may get wet. Yeah. That structure of it, to me, feels very much like resolve. Like, the fact that it goes there is the cadence. Like, that it creates that resolve of the whole song. Because at the end, you are feeling like... Ta- like, the way I feel at the end of Bliss, I feel at the end of Little Earthquakes, the song. Mm. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I do. I hate that I say that. You get it? Like, I've been somewhere. I've been on a journey in just a short amount of time. Yeah. Three minutes. Should we talk about the video again? Yeah. I guess we should have a video portion of our audio video segment. For sure. But I love that you brought up wanting another Bliss video because I can see it too. And I can see it with like, of course, I'm very literal as well. And I might set it in space or something. But, or just like cosmic lighting and just like really fun video. But we would have to put the current Bliss video with another song on To Venus and Back Live Still Orbiting. What song would you place that on? Mm, That's a good question. Thank you. I'm a professional interviewer. Precious things. I knew you would say that. You did? Yeah. Oh my God. Are you made of me? But not <laughs> but enough not for enough me? not enough for you? <laughs> I was going to say Cornflake Girl. You were. Or Pruel. You did. 
They're both not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but they're both not the right tone for the fans like dancing all. I nightly. think that's right, especially cruel. They're like woo. Uh, so space dog. I was gonna say that too. That was my backup. Yeah. This section of the episode can be synced with Tori Amos's Bliss video, so get it queued up and press play when you hear the beep. Are you ready? Cue it up, cuties. You can find the Bliss video on the Uproxx Indie Mixtape YouTube channel, and you can press play in three, two, one. Eyes, makeup on point. It rocks me to this day. The eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah, it rocks me to this day to know she did her own makeup. Amy Kane is bliss oh love her former Tori Miss drummer Matt Chamberlain <laughs> wow the camera loves Emmy this is definitely the uh, Tales version name everyone you know let's name everyone we know Matt Chamberlain Tori Tori I don't know her you don't know who I know Weren't you in this shot? Aren't you in this shot? Not that, not that one, not quite. Carolyn. But bonds are being formed, and friendships, day in, day out, that. Was um, deep. I cannot remember that guy's name, but Dor knew John him Evans. well. No, the guy in the crowd, the front of the barricade, front of the pit. Okay. Oh. Lisa Schmoltz. That was Lisa Schmoltz tattooed back. Mm. You can find she's a tattoo artist. She'll tattoo you, Tori. Lilith Fair was going on usually in the same town that we were in and we were in arenas plugged in rocking the house and I think both messages were extremely important there I was, I went by, I turned my head okay. John Witherspoon I didn't see Tori spit out her water one time this tour I think she swallows it now did you notice if she spit out her water? no I didn't She's into conservation now in the ocean. Yeah. She doesn't waste it. I bet John Witherspoon's fun. He was wearing a boa. Mm -hmm. Was that Aaron? That was Aaron O'Neill. Who's that? Oh, God. This looks so fun. Oh. the record together, the rehearsals. It was a two-year process. We were never without each other, from the bus to the hotel to the stage. So it, I guess the end was almost like four directions being pulled apart in our own tiny little world. So when I see this, I remember a time of beauty and love and decadence. Aaron Russell. Oh, Aaron Russell was there? I She's love that. She's waitressing. I love, oh, Hang Tending? Yeah. 
Is that what you call it, waitressing? No, we call it hang tenning. I love that the crew is featured as well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Unsung heroes. Yeah, crew rarely gets their due. I just need to add, hearing this now, my other favorite vocal moment is the last another kind when she goes up. I love that. These shows were so fun. In reality, though, I don't understand how Lauren Haynes says that he used every frame of footage. And the video is three minutes and 41 seconds long. He only yeah. took three minutes and 41 seconds he of footage. He shot for days and right, only got three minutes. I know. Like, that's literally the only footage he has from the meet and greet is that one shot of Abe McCain for like 10 seconds, three mm-hmm. seconds. I don't believe it, Lauren. Come I'm up. not a filmmaker, but something seems off about this. Send me your external hard drive and prove it. <laughs> I have a question for you, David. Yeah? You know how Natalie said to Tori, you know what? You'd go to Venus if you could. Girl, you go to Venus if you could. Like, oh, shit. You know. Like she read her. Mm-hmm, totally. That's how she says it. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, where would Bliss go if she could? <laughs> I think she would go on a tour of NASA. Interesting. <laughs> She'd get her little like space suit on. It's all tailored. I think she would go to a Formula One event. I think she would go to a Formula One car, Indy 500. She would go to the Indy 500 and sit there in her like cute little pencil skirt. Just watch. Mm-hmm. And I think on the way there, she would stop at a Sonic drive-thru and get a slush. Mmm, delish. A supernova juice. So a blue coconut? An ocean water? Do they come in blue coconut? That's so exotic. Um, Yeah, ocean water is blue coconut. They call it ocean water? Uh, you know I've never been to a Sonic. Then stop speaking the name of Sonic. You said you would take me there and you never did. Then there was a pandemic and I haven't seen you since. <laughs> That's why Blood Roses is our song. I can't forget the things you never said or did like take me to Sonic. Oh. Who would you cast in the role of Bliss in the film of To Venus and Back? You know what? We have made a deal on this show to not censor our thoughts. And so I'm going to tell you the first person that came to mind when you said who would you cast in Bliss inexplicably was Kristen Stewart. So I'm saying Kristen Stewart. You just want to cast her in everything. Have I cast her before? You have. I have? In what? I think you cast her as she's your cocaine or liquid diamonds. or You cast her somewhere. I have to go back. Why am I obsessed with Kristen Stewart? I don't know. I don't find that she occupies my conscious thoughts ever. But your unconscious ones. What is that? Good thing I have therapy today. I have to explain this what's going on with me and Kristen mm-hmm. Stewart I would never cast this actress ever but I would cast Jodie Foster in the role of Bliss she's like captain you know she's like father I killed my monkey I feel like you cast Jodie Foster and everything no I never cast Jodie Foster ever you do father I killed my monkey let's go father maybe you should explore being a bliss of another cat or maybe you're afraid to yeah, exactly. You're the one who casts her all the time so that you can do your Jodie Foster impression. <laughs> Which I didn't know I had. I like this segment. We should continue to do it for the rest of the season. Okay. We should continue to run into the ground for the rest of the season. For the rest of our lives. Posted to Really Deep Thoughts, October 1st, 1999, by George. What's up? It seems like I've been mostly away from discussion, email, chatting, and stuff like that for the past week or so. I think it probably has something to do with a load of clothes sitting in the laundry basket waiting to be folded for the past four days. In other words, I ain't had time for this shit. Still, I've had this in my head for the past few days and it's ready to drop on y'all's punk asses. George's to Venus and back rant. 
For those of you on the list who are either brain dead or subscribed to AOL, To Venus and Back is Tori's new album, which was released a week and a half back. After many, many listens, I can offer what I think is my set opinion. Let's forget about the lyrics for a second. The songwriting is Tori's best yet. You don't mind hitting the back button after pretty much every song on this album and hearing a song over and over again. You appreciate these songs more with every listen. It's the same quality that made albums like OK Computer and R.E.M.'s Up so great. As for individual songs, I can't say enough about Datura and Lust. Datura is the centerpiece of this album, a long epic which serves as a vehicle for Tori and the band to kick our ass with some great instrumental work while Tori reads off an endless list of flowers. It's up there with the best song she's ever written. To Venus and Back makes Choir Girl look like a first dad and makes Pele look confused. It's the band at their peak and it's the most satisfying work I've seen from Tori in seven long, long years. years. As for the live disc, I was pleasantly surprised. One last thing about this album, it's about time that Atlantic does something for Tori other than make way too much money off the diehard fans. Push these songs, get them on the radio. Hell, Paola is legal now. Pay DJs to spin concertina five times a day. Limp Biscuit made a multi-platinum career off Paola. Why can't Tori get her one day in the sun from it? Well, that's my to Venus and back rant. I was thinking about adding my the fragile rant to this, but I can really just sum it up in two sentences. <clears throat> I waited five years for this. Fuck you, Trent. What a dated, cliched, boring ass album. Easily the biggest letdown I can remember ever. Fuck you, Trent. You are entering the AMOS Live Lounge. Welcome back to the lounge, David. Uh, I hope I don't spill my supernova juice in here. I'm shocked that you didn't notice I redecorated. I did. I was waiting for you to like give me a tour, though, and talk me through your aesthetic. It's purple, but if you look really closely, it's actually pictures of dead monkeys. Oh my god, that's gruesome. It's like faces of death Once in here. Once you see it, you can never unsee it. Yeah. Do we have any food and beverage rules, restrictions? Can I drink my supernova juice while we talk? Oh, absolutely. Please, as long as you share. Is that what I taste? Your supernova juice? It's delicious. It's kind of like boba. Yeah. Yeah, the babas? Yes, bobas. <laughs> Lately, we've been into circuitry, and here we are in the supernova lounge to discuss how many times Tori Amos has performed Bliss. That's what we're here specifically to discuss. It's kind of a lot. I would guess. Yeah. She's performed this song 173 times in a concert setting in her career confirmed. Mm -hmm. Not counting times that she's done it on television, radio shows, not counting any of that. Just on tour proper, 173 times. And spoiler alert, this episode comes in between the two legs of Ocean to Ocean. Just aiming straight between the legs. Right, exactly. Nothing between them legs. (laughs) 
1999. Yes. Do you have crimped hair? I do. I'm in the middle of inventing the man pre and the man bun, but no one's noticed it. But it will become a trend in a year or two. What's a man pre? The man pre pants. Oh, was that a 90s thing? It was my thing in 1999. I just wanted everyone to see my socks. But I hate like the rolled up pant aesthetic. So I cut off my pants like really mm. short and I invented the man pre thereby. Is that different than like an Aladdin pantaloon? <laughs> they didn't bunch up at the bottom. Okay, just making sure. Although with a little foresight, I could have invented those too. Mm-hmm. In 1999, Tori Amos performed this song a total of 36 times, David. And that does not count the debut of this song on August 12th, 1999 on David Letterman. Roll it, Oliver. what was happening but these letter performances were always good he loved her she loved him she usually premiered her new single at least for the u.s television audience on letterman so here we were here we were the next time we hear from this song was on MTV Live and Unrehearsed. Do you really think she was unrehearsed? It seemed pretty good for being unrehearsed. I know. And what a strange thing to advertise. Like everyone here yeah. is totally unprepared. Couldn't be bothered. <laughs> but no, no, no. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. That's what we've advertised. <laughs> That's the tour all night show. I'm just going to come in how I come in. Mm-hmm. Live and totally amateurish. (laughs) Live and make you wish you were dead. (laughs) This is the same performance where she talked about Clunky the Monkey with John Norris. We played that clip earlier. It was performed on August 16th, but aired on August 22nd, 1999. Roll that. pretty quick turnaround that was a pretty quick turnaround do you think they wanted to air it for her birthdays on august 22nd maybe but if we think that she was rehearsed while she was saying she was unrehearsed and think that it was aired later than it was performed she was neither live nor unrehearsed yeah so taped and rehearsed is what it should have been called her tour started two days later and she was like Ooh, i guess i better practice <laughs> up all night <laughs> she performed the song a total of 26 times on the Five and a Half Weeks Tour. Here's the first performance of Bliss on tour, August 18th, 1999, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. so tired you were so tired back then Mm -hmm. i stayed up all night to go to the meet and greet 
Tell us about it. How was it? It was at a huge venue, obviously, because it was late 90s, and she was touring with Alanis. First show of the tour, we were like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how this is going to go down. How many people are going to show up? We better go there right now and just mill around until the sun comes up. And that's what we did. It's one of the worst decisions of my life, of many. Top 10, at least. And David hates to be tired. I hate to... <laughs> how do you know that about me? <laughs> because I know that about you. It's not like Believe a very me. controversial thing. Does anyone, like, love to be tired? <laughs> but, you know, I have a particular distaste for it i have to be extra tired before i'll even think about getting in that bed yeah i want sleep to come over me like a coma Mm -hmm. you just sleep with your eyes open you know how to rejuvenate yeah you gotta when you're on the road you have to be like a vampire the next time we see bliss on television was in good morning america on september 3rd 1999 roll that all of our Good morning, America. And if you're wondering where your kids are, they might be here. Was that from that outdoor concert where she looks like she entered an archery competition? Mm-hmm. I love that. She has like the leather cuffs on. Yes, queen. Uh, she always defined expectations, particularly during this period. She was like, you think I'm going to go spacey? Wrong for the Venus era renaissance. Wrong. I loved it. High collars, Victorian collars. Yeah. How about that? Catch me outside at Good Morning America. How about that? Good, sir. <laughs> the last time we see this in 1999 with the band, incidentally, was the same last time she performed it with Katen. It was the last time she performed it with Katen. This is October 15th, 1999 on VH1 Hard Rock Live, recorded on the 15th of October aired in January 2000. Last time, Bliss with Gaten. 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 <laughs> On the To Allison Back tour, she did perform it four times, but in the solo tour of 1999, she performed it six times. And here's the first of those times on October 29th, 1999, in that amazing, spectacular solo show at the Royal Festival Hall on October 29th, 1999, exactly 22 years to the day before she would release Ocean to Ocean. Hit it. <laughs> needs to be officially released it sure does was that the only proper solo show weren't the rest like holiday festival appearances like jingle balls and yule logs yeah jingle bell ball Mm -hmm. jingle balls belling and then like the nutcracker (laughs) she had to think with balls and nuts holiday nutcracker holiday nut balls we should redo for our next christmas special our midwinter graces christmas special we should redo the little earthquakes mushrooms but with like sleigh bells and chestnuts that'd be cute oh that would be cute Mm. you're always so full of good ideas (laughs) well ideas (laughs) 
This is from Dutch television on November 5th, 1999. What language? No, Dutch. What it means to be made a human I don't know you and I wonder if you can buy a cake Is that what I taste? Your supernova juice You know it's too From the vaults, this is December 2nd, 1999 in Wallingford. Bliss doesn't really change much, David, but with this performance, she added an interesting little intro. Roll it, Oliver. She performed this song on The Strange Little Tour only one time. And she does do that, doesn't she? She giveth and she taketh away. Exactly. A staple on one tour will be completely absent on the next tour. Yeah. I wonder if that has anything to do with being post 9-11 and her not wanting to imply a heightened state of happiness. Oh, you think? Maybe. Because it was towards the end of the tour. So you can only assume it was a request that a lot of people must have requested it. Because at the end of the tour, she also did New Age, which people had been requesting the whole tour. Mm Mm-hmm. So she finally gave it to us on the last U.S. show. But for Bliss, it was November 9, 2001 in Seattle, Washington. So roll that. I don't know exactly where Scarlet's walking, but I like the cut of her jib. You got a porch to go with that swing? I have got nothing. You got shake to go with those fries? I got nothing, David. You got... <laughs> now you're talking my language. Right. I don't need a veranda. I need a combo meal. Got fries to go with that impossible meat burger. Anyway, 2002-2003 on Scarlet's Walk Tour, she performed this song 33 times, not including one time on the Scarlet Sessions taping and two times at the PBS Soundstage taping. She performed it once and then came back in the encore and did it a second time. She also did it 12 more times on the completely separate Lotta Pianos tour, which followed eventually. But the first time she performed it was on Scarlet's Walk at the very first show of tour, Tampa, Florida, November 7th. Someone on this phone call was there. 
Oh, wait, it took me a second. I was like, it wasn't me. Is that, oh, it was you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was going through my travel log. You forgot I was here, David. And you forgot I was there. I was going through <laughs> David's walk and I got lost in reverie for a second. It was you. How was that? Tell me everything. You know what? It came early enough in the set. If I'm not mistaken, it was the second song of the set after the Wampum sort of fairy tale opening. So fourth song of the set. And it was just like, oh my God, this is exactly what the 90s were. We thought it was going to just be wild. And it was wild. It was great. It was a great performance. Mm. I'm not going to lie. No one can ever take that away from me, no matter what happens. This is November 13th, 2002 in New York at the Riverside Church. this one because I was also here and this was the night that I hopped next to Reese Witherspoon. This is December 18th, 2002 at LA Universal Amphitheater and I know you were there too. I was. Is this the night you discovered texting? This is the night I was told that's what texting is for. Mm -hmm. When you hop by Reese Witherspoon, you text the group chat. Mm -hmm. And I said to Lisa B, I stared her straight in the eyes and I said, I don't have a cell phone. So I knew right then I had to get one. (laughs) What if that was true? Someone from Silicon Valley was at a concert and they were like, God, if only I could send a text message, not a voicemail to one of my friends about Reese Witherspoon. Is that how it happened? Probably. (laughs) Mr. Alexander Graham Bell. (laughs) He's a huge Reese Witherspoon fan and Gene Triplehorn fan. Little known fact. Yeah. That's why he wanted to invent the telephone. Mm -hmm. That's why we also call the phone the horn sometimes because of Gene Triple Uh Horn. (laughs) Get horn on the horn. We just shortened it to horn because it's too cumbersome to say get on the triple horn. Get triple horn on the triple horn. Get Gene on the horn. That's what we say. (laughs) Get Gene on the horn. (laughs) No, I can't hold. May 2nd, 2003, Tori Amos recorded a PBS soundstage with this song, and it aired on August 28th, 2003. Roll that.
The next one I want to play is from Frankfurt, Germany on February 5th, 2003. Now, it's very rare that this song appears in the encore, but it did appear in the encore a lot in 0203. And listening to what the band does while they're waiting for Tori to come out is a total vibe, and I love it. On the entirely separate Lotta Pianos tour, she performed the song 12 times. Not quite a teenager, late adolescent, 12 times. A tween? Same arrangement, right? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. The song's never really changed. Yeah, she wasn't like, it's the Lotta Pianos tour, I'm going to play it on like five keyboards. She kept it the same. It's a bold choice. Yeah. The song really revs. It always has like a deep bass rumbling. Like, yes, it's like that rocket launch every time. So that's 43 times across the 0203 tours, not counting the three times that she did it on TV, with 43 times under her belt, which we basically just played them all. How many times do you think she performed it in 2005? Just guess. Just take a wild stab at the dark, David. Um, I think she went on the run. She was blissed out. <laughs> That's why she performed it zero times in 05 on Original Sensuality and zero times in 05 in Summer of Sin. The two totally separate tours. She had to stay off her feet because she got a blister. Oh, that's good. When you first blissed too much, or in her case, you've played it too much. Mm-hmm. That was a blistering performance. Mommy, kiss me goodbye. Mommy, why is that monkey sleeping? <laughs> Forever. It's okay. That monkey just spilled ketchup on her shirt. That's why you can't get her to wake. Ketchup on her shirt. In 07, 2007, Bliss was performed 32 times. But. But. Or and. And. (laughs) It was performed 18 times by the ferocious, outrageous, leather and rubber clad Pip. 18 times by Pip. 14 times by Tori. But why? But why? (laughs) There's almost an even split here. 14, 18. And that's really how it kind of came out on tour. It was basically like in Pip's set and then in Tori's encore. And then in Pip's set, in Tori's encore, Pip, Pip, Tori, Pip, Tori, Pip, Tori, Pip, Pip, Tori. You know, it was weird. You got to pick one. And there's not really a song like this that's shared so evenly by two dolls. So I'm curious to know what the song represents for an outrageon like Pip. Yeah, even the songs that were technically duets weren't shared by the dolls live. Like Body and Soul was a Santa Pip duet, right? Yeah, and so was Smokey Joe. Smokey Joe. Smokey Joe. <laughs> yeah, Santa never sang Smokey Joe, and no. Pip never sang Body and Soul. No, this doesn't make any oh. sense. Should we put Pip on a performance improvement plan? Um <laughs> Dollology and doll lore. <laughs> what if all the doll names were actually acronyms? Pip Performance Improvement Plan. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you are out there and listening to this and you have an idea of why Pip might have performed Bliss, aside from the fact that it begins with a murder, a stone cold murder, aside from that fact, that might be please it. Please tell us why. 
That might just literally be it. <laughs> she murdered that poor ape. Father, I killed my monkey. And then that's it. I don't care who knows it. So let's play a couple of these, shall we? Couple. This is the first time Pitt performed Bliss, and it's May 31st, 2007 in Milan. Interesting. Mm. Mm, I wonder who's playing that. Mr. Dan Phelps. Nope. Oh, this was a Mac Aladdin show? The one and only or one of the few? One of two, yeah. Oh my God. There's like no footage of that. Are we sure it happened? I feel like this has reached the status of urban legend. In fact, David, to be quite specific, this was the night that Mac Aladdin played guitar and Dan Phelps, according to the review on Undented, it says... Mac Aladdin again played guitar, though Dan Phelps played on some songs instead. Like Mac Aladdin did in fact take the stage. Was he in any kind of disguise? There's a picture somewhere, but I, and I feel like I saved it. I feel like I would have saved it. Was Mac really just Mark? Did she mention him? I mean, I know he was just Mark, but I guess by that, I mean, was he in any kind of costume? No, he was himself, but she introduced him as Mac Aladdin. Huh. The first time Tori Amos herself as her own doll performed Bliss was on June 11th, 2007 in Nuremberg. And it was the second song in Encore 1. Roll that beautiful Bliss footage. I'm so sorry, David. I said it wasn't a duet that night, but it actually was. I can hear Santa and the crowd singing her parts. Ooh, shay, 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 shay. Here's Pitt performing it at Provinci Rock in Finland on June 15, 2007. It had a fat slut intro, and there's a really good video of it on YouTube. So if you watch Pip's performance of Bliss, you sort of access an understanding of why maybe Pip is performing this song. She's obviously working through something, so I recommend watching the video.
And this is the last time she played it on this tour. And it was performed for the last time in San Diego, California, December 12th, 2007, at the infamous Get the Fuck Out of My Show show. I feel like the doll concept was just falling apart at that point. Maybe a little bit. Or she was just doing what she wanted. She was like, you know what? It's whatever. Pippa's going to come out and do suede. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just like it. Who cares? What if four dolls take the stage every night? On Doll Force. Oh, on Doll Force. So that performance can be purchased on iTunes right now. It's a Legs and Boots from San Diego 07. Go buy it. Go buy all the Legs and Boots right now. Right now, do it. And when you see somebody that is attractive to you, you're sinning. You're just sinning. She did not perform the song in 2008, Dranader, but she did perform it nine times in 09. Nine times. And you know what, David? Each performance was not only sinful, it was also attractive. Mm. Doesn't it feel good to say that again? It does. Or to hear that in your case? <laughs> it's like slipping into a familiar pair of leggings. And a yellow highlighter dress. Totally. Big shoulders. Okay, this is my favorite performance of Bliss. Are you ready? Ever? No, from this tour. Oh. This is July 20th, 2009 in Salt Lake City, Utah at a Bravenel Hall. we have to play the last performance of Bliss in 09 with the band, which was the last performance of Bliss for a very long time with a band. The last performance of Bliss so far with Matt Chamberlain. Roll it, Oliver. This is October 10th, 2009 in Warsaw. One time in 2010, on July 14th, in Zurich, Switzerland, live at Sunset, the festival. And it was the first song of the singular encore. Now, the thing about this performance, she flips off the audience. I don't know who she's flipping off, but in the middle of the song, she's like, you, basically. She's like, back there. You're the one I'm flipping off. So I went to the YouTube video to watch it, and I can't see anybody misbehaving. But I don't purport to see all assholes. I can only see the ones that are on tape. And apparently this asshole didn't make it to tape. But... 
that doesn't matter because this song I believe was for Rami that night. And I'd like to say congratulations to Rami for getting the last bliss ever to repeat the chorus at the end before going into the bridge. Every performance since then, with the exception of some of the 2022 stuff, and we'll talk about that, but every performance after this, she truncated that ending. You know how she would normally go... And then repeat that beginning into the bridge. No more. Not after this show. Whoever was down there, whoever distracted her during that moment, and she had to flip them off, they're to blame. So I hope you enjoy it. Live in this moment forever. Enjoy it. Oliver, roll it and enjoy it. I'll just enjoy it. I'll certainly not roll it. David, how many times do you think she performed it in 2011? Mm, she was hunting. I'm going to say zero. Ah, you're right. She was hunting, but she never cut bliss. Mm-hmm. How many times do you think she did it in 2012? Same. You're right. Mm-hmm. Why? This would have been great with strings, though. Not going to lie. I don't know. Maybe because classical is like the opposite of space <laughs> in some bizarre <laughs> world. I don't know there why. There is, I argue, nothing more classical than the universe. Yes, she was like, no, no, no. What's the opposite of electronic? It is my orchestral tour, so I can't do anything oh, yeah. spacey or, you know. But wouldn't it have been great with strings? It would have been wild, I think. Yeah, I think it would have been great with the quartet. I don't know about full orchestra. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, maybe at the beginning, instead of like the wind blowing, there's like a little piccolo dancing and then like a tuba comes in for the engine rubbing. Like, boom, 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 boom. That's more didgeridoo, I guess. In 2014, though, oh, she did not do it in 2013 either, Mm. the one show. But in 2014, she decided to honor the year by doing it 14 times. Katorce. To further illustrate what that monster took from us, here is July 30th, 2014, the third performance of Bliss on this tour in Austin with a new truncated ending section. If I get my hands on them, I oughta...
just all happening too soon. It's Ugh. just not long enough. It's just all happening so fast. I'm not ready for the song <laughs> to be over so soon. Here's August 10, 2014 in Philadelphia. This was one of like 20 songs that she performed that night, maybe more. And I cried through all of them. <laughs> Literally, I never thought I would see her again after 2011. I don't know why. I had like closed up the touring chapter of my life and I just never thought I would ever see her again. And then this was the first show back for me in Philly. And this is the same show I've talked to you about where I was having an emotional reaction the whole night. And how could I not with songs like Toast, Here in My Head, Strange, Crazy into Wild Horses, Purple People, Spring Haze. How could I not have an emotional reaction, right? The Beekeeper randomly in 2014. And I thought I was just being private in my emotional response when in between the main set and the encore, Lauren Eshwee <laughs> puts her hand on my shoulder. She's like, here, honey, you need these? And it's like a box of Kleenex that she's run out to the Rite Aid to purchase because she knows I need it. <laughs> Were they puffs? Oh, with lotion. With lotion. <laughs> For the summer festival shows in 2015, Tori performed this song six times. Four of those times, Bliss was the opening song of the set. And I'm telling you, these are some of the best performances of Bliss. She has business with this song again. It's ferocious. It's fierce. From the very first show of that tour, May 30th, 2015 in Barcelona, Spain. Roll it, Oliver. This is later that same year, November 6, 2015, at Balois in Basel, Switzerland. Is that what I taste? Your supernova juice. You know it's true. I'm part of you. Steady as it comes right down to yeah, see. Invader Tour. She honored 2014 by playing it 14 times. How many times do you think she played it in 2017? Did she get close? Did she get close to 17 and 17? She did it 16 times. Oh my God, she was on the edge of 17. I see. 
let's play the last time we heard Bliss on that tour, which was December 3rd, 2017 at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles. <laughs> My parents' anniversary, which I always feel the need to point out. She did it for them. Your parents are a bliss of another kind. Mm-hmm. And speaking of blisses of another kind, this bliss was also a bliss of another kind because it was such a vibe. It was a mood. part david on that tour bliss fell in the second song slot immediately following the opening slot or the very last song of the main set and like twice in the encore mm. so wildly so. inconsistent <laughs> no so like basically in these powerpoint positions you know those mm. are her power moments mm-hmm. the first song is always a power moment but the first song usually doesn't rotate the second song is the power moment like this is the story of the show then the next power moment is whenever there's a break and like the band leaves or the fake muse network begins or whatever like that change and then coming back from that change is another power spot and then the end of the main set is the power spot mm-hmm. and then the first song of the encore is also a power spot yes it's a lot of pressure points yeah you know there's hundreds of pressure points on the human body that sounds correct and or arbitrary 2022's Ocean to Ocean Tour, not to be confused with 2023's Ocean to Ocean Tour, which hasn't happened yet, but 2022's Ocean to Ocean Tour had it all, didn't it? It had a precinct after party, it had video meet and greets, conference calls, and it had 15 performances of Bliss, four of which had Running Up That Hill, which was a first, and I owe a Tash Zone. I think we all owe a Tash Zone. But here's the first time she performed Bliss with Ash, and this is Austin, Texas, May 1st, 2022 at the Austin City Limits at Moody Theater, and I was there, and I was sober. That'll mean something in a minute.
here's a little bit of the ending from Boston, May 14th, 2022. I was also there, but I was very drunk. And I believe this is the night that we all got COVID. And I have nobody else to blame, but the guy she flipped off in 2010. It's because of him that they packed us in like sardines. And the usher said, oh, thank God the show is over. This is the last show we're doing of the year, of the season, because usually we don't go this late because we don't have air conditioning in the building. And that's why everyone was sweating. We were pouring juices on each other. It was disgusting. But the performance was great. Here's Tori performing Bliss on June 10th, 2022 in Oakland, California. It's the first time in my memory or in my knowledge that she's ever performed this song with Running Up That Hill with Ash Sohan on drums, who I believe had something to do with it. last time she performed Bliss on the Ocean to Ocean tour. The last time she's performed Bliss to date. This is June 17th, 2022 here in Los Angeles. And it was really amazing. It was truly beautiful. She did it twice in Los Angeles this tour. And let's just live in this. Yes, if I only could make a deal with you to live in this moment with me.
think of that? I fucking love it. I love it. There's nothing I could say bad about it. I did hear one time. It's not one that I played here, but I did hear it was she pulled back from the mic a little to say running up that building team noun. Wow. It was it was very <laughs> subtle, but it was clear. And that's it. That's all she wrote for Bliss. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. In the 2022 wrote. Ocean to Ocean tour, we're in a unique position to predict how many times she's going to do it on the next leg of the Ocean Ocean Tour in April 2023. I'm going to uniquely predict zero. Really? Yeah. I'm going to predict 75 times. So several shows will consist of nothing but bliss over and over again. She'll play it twice at every show, and then there will be a couple of shows where it's like played three times in the encore. Okay. Inexplicably. (laughs) Yeah. Because she wants to put it in all the power spots, like I just mentioned. I explained it completely to you, David. Mm-hmm. I've already explained myself. Don't question. You can get too happy, though. You can. I think we should put a little wager on it, though. Whoever gets closest without going under, I think, should win. It's fair. And what's the prize? Whoever loses has to buy the other a new monkey. Mm. Should we set up a blissing booth for drival night at the shows? Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> $2 per bliss. $2 per bliss. Anyway, get out of the lounge. Let's go. Oh, God. Get in the elevator. When it's last call, the tide really turns in here. The lights go on. I know. I'm like shielding my eyes. God, it's bright. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. David, that was fun. It was, yeah. Wasn't that fun? I liked it. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. I had my um, astronaut ice cream. Oh. Are you excited to jump into Juarez? Juarez. We're going to cross the border. I can't wait to talk about the next song, yeah? You got a lot to say? I have a lot to say because I grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is a sister city of Juarez, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Are we acknowledging that this song has made a stunning comeback in 2022? Of course we're going to acknowledge it, but you have to wait till the next episode for full acknowledgement. Mm. Here we are on the Bliss episode, and if you like what we do, head over to our Instagram, our Twitter, at Songs of Tori Amos, also our Facebook, and follow us there, engage with us there, email us at songsoftoriamos at gmail.com, go to our website, songsoftoriamos.com, and sign up for our newsletter, and as the people who have signed up for our newsletter can tell you, we barely send out letters, so don't worry about getting spammed. But they always come with a $5 off coupon to Bed Bath & Beyond. Oh my god, we should partner. <laughs> but if you really like what we do, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Become a supporter today. We have so much audio content and many different perks at many different levels. There's tons of extra audio in the private feed. We have an app now. You can download the app and listen to all of our shows in one area. It's Sugar, the Sugar app, S-U-G-R, because we bring you sugar. 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 We bring you sugar. We need to record our commercial. We need to record a commercial for that one day. We will. But I'm low carbing right now, so it's not a good time for me. We really <laughs> do have a lot of content. I was looking through our feed just to, you know, refresh myself <laughs> on to our work. Just congratulate ourselves. To, yeah, I know. See? And I forgot almost about, like, all those tour commentaries that we did. 
did, especially during COVID quarantine. There's so mm-hmm. much out there for your listening pleasure and syncing pleasure. If you want to sync up our commentaries. Exactly. If you want to go to work, if you have to work a nine to five and you have to work eight and a half hours a day with a lunch and you want to talk to none of the people that you work with because now you're stuck in an office and all those microaggressions that you thought were gone in the two years we were in pandemic when you were working remotely, if that happens to be your life and you want to just ignore everybody at the office, we can give you eight hours of content per day. That's like two shows for us. Yeah. <laughs> you can listen to two episodes and fill your whole day. If you ride to work every morning wondering why, we'll give you a reason. It's so you can get there and immediately start listening to our show. Exactly. And and listen while you ride to work. Start with the daily show, Never Shut Up, then move on to the tour show because we have, we're on tour right now, technically on hiatus. So listen to the tour show, Tour All Night, and then wrap it all up with a three-hour episode of our flagship show, Drive All Night, which you must have already done if you're here. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, David. Have Bye. a wonderful time. I'll see you in Juarez. Okay, I'll see you there. Bye. Got shipping for gas. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamus.com. Well, I'll be damned. Are you? Are you shitting me? <laughs>